0: Welcome back. Day two for us here on Radio Row in Las Vegas. I'm Craig Hoffman. This is The Hoffman Show. And uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, you see a face you probably recognize. David Chang, chef, TV star, entrepreneur, and DMV native with That's us right. to start That's the show. Right.
1: Excited to be here.
0: Um, so I was uh, I was doing my homework, doing my googling, and I was like, I know he's a DMV guy. I got I got to see he's probably a, a Washington football fan. And the first thing that comes up is in 2013, mm. the Kickstarter that you wanted to start to raise six billion dollars to uh, right. to buy the team from Dan Snyder back in the day. You had the price right. You were very early on. I that.
1: I, I knew it was six. I <laughs> <laughs> I literally spent. A long time, days trying to calculate what would it be for Snyder to sell the team. And I literally said six billion, and Everyone laughed at me, but
0: it, you're just a decade early.
1: And I wanted to sell the team back to the fans of Washington, D.C. So you know, didn't happen. Didn't
0: happen, but
1: the, the, the witch is dead?
0: Uh, yeah, And so that's kind of what I wanted to start with, is like now he's gone um how how has your fandom been affected by that and like are you back in are you are you all in on the commanders as a fan again
1: this is gonna be a hot take but i think for what 20 plus years i think i felt if you were a true fan of the team Mm -hmm. and you really hated our previous owner the best thing you could do was actively root against them (laughs) and lower the value of the team don't buy any merch don't watch any games so you know, that was that was going to be the only way we got rid of him, and everyone thought I was crazy. So, ironically enough, a team that's also been historically bad has <laughs> been the Raiders. So I would root for the Raiders because they were always, like, just, you know.
0: They caught you. They tickled your fancy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like, similar, Yeah. Yeah, no, so all right, So you're, you're out. Even, no, even I'm though, back in. I'm okay, back in. Okay. I'm
1: ba- it was always got to get rid of Snyder. Yep. My concern was, he, you know, nepotism. He was going to give it his kids. We were never going to get rid of him. So, I gotta be honest. I, I don't know how to feel yet with Josh Harris, Magic Johnson. I know I'm excited, but part of me—aren't you a little bit like?
0: I mean, I think everyone's nervous because you just assume that it's gotta be better. Like, we, it can't be worse, but not worse doesn't in, like inherently mean better. I'm very impressed with Josh Harris. He seems like a very smart guy who's hired very smart people, and that's definitely a change. But
1: we've already brought over the Sixers' uh, game plan of trusting the process.
0: Yes, we're really good at that. Yeah got to have a good process i
1: i i don't know I'm, i i i read still i i read religiously everything that happens in the dc sports world particularly the football team i will never call them the commanders or the previous we need a new name
0: i i think that's on the table by the, the way
1: the, the team needs to go back to rfk yes dc it has to happen but um there's some preconditions for me to truly get back to, on the bandwagon to buy in <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so I'm actually very interested to talk to you. I feel like a lot of these hits are probably a bunch of wacky, goofy bits, but like you built so many restaurants and the restaurant industry is brutal and having good, strong organizational leadership is necessary for success. So I'm actually genuinely curious, like in, in your restaurants at Momofuku and in all the different restaurants and, and brands that you've helped build across media and, and in the food uh, and restaurant industry, like what are some of the common things that you know hey, this, the commanders are going to have to have these types of structural kind of stability points in order to succeed.
1: Well, having been a terrible manager of people and, <laughs> and, and been corrected to, and still trying to get better, I think the, the thing that we need to do that did not happen in previous regimes is, you know, letting other people make decisions and not micromanaging and letting if we make a mistake, Let's not make the same mistake twice. And for years, we would make the same mistake. How many years did we win the offseason Super Bowl?
0: Oh, uh, endless offseason Super Bowls. I'm,
1: I have so much uh, PTSD that I'm legitimately expecting the team to sign Jeff George as a backup quarterback. <laughs>
0: I mean, it could, it could happen. He's got to be, you know, in his fifties at he's this point. Still but like, R. yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly does. Uh, but I, I think that's interesting too because you know they just hired Dan Quinn as the head coach, and a lot of the fans are like, "meh," and I'm like, "That's a new feeling for you." Yeah, that's a new feeling. I, I'm
1: also, "meh," you know. Uh, part of me is, he's coming from the Cowboys, and I don't, I don't know how I can root for.
0: A guy who was with Dallas?
1: You can't. i, I it's, it's a. I got to be honest. I was super hyped about Ben Johnson, Yeah. now I hate his guts.
0: <laughs> because
1: how rude of him to not, not even take the damn interview. What a jerk.
0: Yeah. I, it's weird because talking to NFL people about him, it's like he is one of these like, incredibly hyper-focused guys, and it's like he lost and he realized, like, oh, right, I have the most important job interview of my life tomorrow. I don't want to do that. And you it's know, like that's, that's not great.
1: Can I, can I tell you my prediction of Ben Johnson? For sure. And Ben Johnson, you What if I was just like, this. no,
0: David, well, you can't?
1: I feel like, because they look sort of similar, I think the career path for Ben Johnson is going to look eerily similar to Adam Gase.
0: That is terrifying if you're Ben Johnson. Yeah. I mean, that press conference is Well, listen, end, all that the bad
1: mojo, those, the, the, I'm just saying, like, by spurning the interview, we, mm. maybe we would have hired you.
0: Maybe. I think that's part of the problem.
1: But the football gods are now with us and they've just turned him into Adam Gase.
0: Sucks for you, Ben Johnson. You're now (laughs) Adam Gase. Uh, ESPN's Dan Graziano later in the show with more on that uh, as well. All right. Uh, You have the new show out uh, on Freeform with Chrissy Teigen. Uh, Now, actually, it just came out. Um, If you could have any athletes sit down with you guys to be on the show, who would it be?
1: Uh, Still Shaquille O'Neal, but can I be honest, man, uh, we were doing the Amazon Thursday Night Football. I I got to be with Doug Williams and Daryl Green. That was the – coolest at all habits that was the coolest thing P- top five coolest thing I've ever seen in my life what Daryl Green the, the best
0: those guys both are tremendous storytellers Amazing. which is really what like the show I mean the show's about food the show's about community the show's about whatever Chrissy says when she's drunk which is you know frequent. I've actually had Chrissy on the show twice back in college for me like wow. 10 years ago and we had her on the second time and we go do you remember the first and she goes no
1: well she's sober now and uh she was filming she was she, she was very pregnant. More. yeah she's yes. she, she we, we had a lot of fun we had a lot of good food and uh yeah we have that on hulu uh, and we also have a show on netflix called dinnertime live
0: what's that one about because you had ugly delicious forever which is so phenomenal Sim- any similarities there or different different concept <laughs> uh
1: totally different i'm literally cooking tuesday 7 p.m eastern standard time live for guests okay. and uh it's uh no one's helping me out. There's no commercial breaks.
0: You're just, you're just li- you're li- right, like right now. We're yeah, just live it, to the wolves. Yeah, are live,
1: exactly, and, it, and it's tough. But, um, you know, I'm excited to be here. This is my first Super Bowl. I've never seen the media like this. And uh, besides the Super Bowl, there's also a huge event that's happening in the world, and that's Lunar New Year. Uh-huh. And Toyota's given us, for me, the opportunity to host a tailgate challenge that's happening in a couple hours, I think. Uh, <laughs>
0: Someone will tell you. You'll yeah. be there.
1: Uh, and, and I got to – Pitt, two of my friends, two of the best chefs. If you get a chance to go visit La Cita in Los Angeles, uh, Nico De Leon is making a chicken sandwich, and we have Brandon Jew of San Francisco, um, one of the best restaurants and two of the best chefs, and they're going to have this chicken off. Tail,
0: tailgate chicken off? Yeah. Nice. You get to, to pick one dish to make for a Super Bowl party. What's your dish?
1: I got to say, and this is. People don't love it when I say this. I'm a big fan of a of a seven-layer dip.
0: Really? Mm. That is not the direction I would have guessed. Mm. But I, I, you know why?
1: Not bad. You can make it early, and it's going to be good for like seven hours too. Seven
0: hours, seven layers. Problem is,
1: you know, as much as fried chicken wings are hard to do, because they got to be hot. Nothing more. Yeah. No, that's. So you, you, I doubt you're going to have a host that's constantly cooking chicken wings throughout the hour. Right, you got to. And watch if the they game. do, you should, you know, put put a ring on that person, guy or girl.
0: <laughs> David Chang with us on behalf of Toyota. David, appreciate you, sir. When um, we get back, Noah Eagle, he's calling the Super Bowl for Nickelodeon. He joins us next. Nicely done, Anthony. Uh, it's the Hoffman Show. We're on the team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. If you're watching us on YouTube at the Team 980, we're awkwardly spaced apart. No, I'm going to get closer to you. I, I that's prefer okay. awkward
2: spacing. That's what I'm okay, best I'm gonna go, at. I'm, gonna go I'm really back good as an awkward then. spacer.
0: No, uh, no, you do enough <laughs> television. You know how this works. We have yeah. to be awkwardly close. That is Noah Eagle, everybody. Uh, he is calling the Super Bowl for Nickelodeon. What a sentence. Yes. Yeah. I,
2: honestly, everyone keeps asking me, well, uh, could you have ever imagined this? And, no, why could I have imagined that this was going to happen? <laughs> I don't understand. Did somebody 18 years ago think, you know what, one day the Super Bowl is gonna be on Nickelodeon. I did think that for a second, but then I also thought they had sweet victory already and that felt like a Super Bowl type environment, so
0: maybe that was some
2: foreshadowing.
0: I don't know. All I know is I'm very excited. How different does a Nickelodeon like play by play preparation board look than a regular like if all of a sudden if all of a sudden Nance gets sick and they're like, oh crap. Uh, Noah, we need you to fill in with Romo. Like are you like I'm not prepared for yeah, this. I, I need slime. I might the might, I might be the one saying,
2: Ooh, I don't know Jim.
1: I don't know. <laughs>
2: I, I it's very different the board itself is at least the outline is there. Yeah. So I'll have the rosters, the depth chart, and the perfunctory stats. Yeah. Perfunctory. Be- that's a good Syracuse yeah, word. Th- thank you. Yeah. I like multi-syllable compound words. Multi-syllabic that's the way I syllabic Yes. Oh, wow. We're going extra here. We're going yeah. the extra mile. I, I would say I-, I still have all that stuff, the bare bones, but I don't have the nitty-gritty that I would normally have for a game, which is probably the most important meat on that bone. Yeah. Instead, I've got references of Spongebob and Jellyfish and Dora the Explorer and all of the extra stuff, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, of course. so I'm ready to go for the broadcast. That's more important for this one.
0: Yeah, that's nice. All right, uh, since you won't get uh, as much football in the actual game on Sunday, you want to talk a little ball, and then I do want to uh, lean into your NBA bona fides because the trade deadline, uh, I don't, the time change is murdering us out here. <laughs> we have no idea what time it is, when anything is happening, but apparently the deadline was 15 minutes ago is when, is when the trade I think it was deadline? an hour 15 or was an, an hour, ago. I don't know, Some. The trade deadline happened. There's yeah, it's no done. more trades. It's over. So we will lean into uh, some NBA stuff here in a second with Noah. But um, I, the the consensus seems to be everyone's starting to lean into Kansas City with how they're playing as of late, uh, and that Mahomes guy is uh, he's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, are you are you a part of this this majority that's leaning into Kansas City? I don't know. I, I think I saw Scott Van Pelt
2: who made the point about this yesterday, and I think he's pretty correct. So when the line first came out for this game, it was two and a half in favor of Kansas City, which uh, in favor of uh, San Francisco, excuse me, which was shocking in many respects because Mahomes had been an underdog the last couple weeks, and we saw what happened. Mahomes as an underdog is incredibly He's not an underdog. He's the best player certainly right now, maybe ever. Yeah, he might be the most talented quarterback we've ever seen with our two eyes. And so to put him as an underdog multiple weeks is already crazy. To do it for a Super Bowl, I think, is absolute lunacy. And I I felt that way last year when I I got to the Super Bowl and everyone's like, well, the Eagles are really good. I'm like, yeah, but Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the field, and Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, and that's hard to beat. It's really hard to bet against that guy. But when they came out and the Niners, it was two and a half, uh, minus two and a half San Francisco, everyone was pouncing on that, and they said Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City. And what happens is I feel like Vegas always seems to know something, and Vegas is always – tends to be right they don't lose for a reason yeah we're not
0: sitting in air conditioning here in the middle of the desert because they're bad at this correct correct the the, the house always wins
2: in some capacity so and i saw all of everybody flooding to bet kansas city i'm like maybe san francisco what's yeah, gonna happen I, here
0: i'm so tw- i'm so torn and part of it is like it is pure selfishness because i picked san francisco before the season and <laughs> i like being right you do and so uh I I would love to be right but I also there's part of me that's like for the rightness I might just hedge and be like I don't know I take Kansas City now I, yeah. go. I got it no matter what but it really does like we've talked about this a lot so for the audience I apologize for saying this for the 800th time but like when you you pick the Ravens or you pick the Bills in the last couple of weeks against Mahomes in the playoffs the second it comes out of your mouth you feel like the biggest idiot in the world right. I think San Francisco's fantastic but I also just, if you start to look at the matchup, the schematics of it, like Kansas City's running game, I think, can be effective against San Francisco. Like some of the, the weak points in San Francisco, to the extent that they exist, are things that I think Kansas City does very well.
2: That's fair. I think this is the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has had since becoming a starting quarterback for the Without Chiefs. Spy. And it's not even close. And so you're giving a guy who's already been off the charts good something else, another weapon that's going to help aid him, that's going to take some of that onus off his back. That's a scary thought in itself. The one thing I will say in favor of San Francisco for this is they have been here now before. This isn't the first time for them. And we we talked to Kyle Juszczyk before the game. We get uh, just a couple players, essentially, from both teams. We get two players per team for the Nickelodeon side. And we just did ask Kyle because we were more curious of, hey, what's different this time than the last time? And he said the last time he just didn't know how to handle the friends and family. He didn't know how to handle all the media stuff going. in. It changes your entire week. So now – If it's Juszczyk or if it's Debo Samuel or even guys like Kittle and some of the defensive guys that have been here, they know what to expect. They have a better idea of how to budget their time. And Brock Purdy is just so cool and calm and collected under pressure. I do love one of my favorite aspects of this quarterback matchup is because Brady just retired, obviously. And I mean, we've talked enough about Brady, but I'm going to bring him up again here. There's a reason he's the greatest of all time in terms of winning, in terms of raising the level of his teammates and everything else he brought but he had so many different he almost had three different careers in one right first part of his career he was this underdog cast aside late round pick six round pick 199th overall wasn't supposed to start thrust in because of injury wins a super bowl sounds like what brock purdy's trying to do right now right second part of his career was hey you're the mvp of the league your team is trying to become a dynasty and the third part of his career was where he was just smarter than everybody. It feels like Patrick Mahomes is somewhere in between that second and third part of the Tom Brady arc right now. So it's but he's almost, only twenty eight. Yes, correct. It's completely different. But it's almost these two that are coming together of what Brady did and what made Brady so special. And so I'm, I'm fascinated to see. Is it going to be the Brock Purdy underdog story? Is it going to be Mahomes trying to become the GOAT that wins out on Sunday? Noah Eagle
0: calling the game for Nickelodeon. Yep, Noah Eagle calling the game for Nickelodeon on Sunday along with Nate Burleson. I know you guys will have a fantastic time. Uh, so when you look at kyle shanahan i think he's one of the more interesting guys in this game obviously like he's one of the head coaches but in terms of like the legacy type of discussions that tend to happen around this his super bowl resume is they lost to mahomes and company a couple years ago and then we all know what happened uh with new commanders coach dan quinn sorry to bring it up uh with the 28-3 game uh with one of those those brady phases that you talked about um like do, if he goes zero for three here like is that significant does it is it just like hey man you ran into mahomes like What's the Kyle Shanahan narrative for you going into this game? Yeah, I think it's somewhat significant. He's still a young
2: coach by all counts and purposes here, right? He's still very much
0: a lot in front of him.
2: You know, he's got a long way to go in his coaching career. And, you know, I don't know how old his dad was when he won his first Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, it had been a while. And he had some high-profile failures as well.
2: Big time. So, look, if he loses, is he automatically like, all right, he can't get it done – I'm sure people will say it. It's not true. I've, In all the meetings I've had with coaches, Kyle Shanahan's been maybe the most impressive because he looks you in the eye. He's a football encyclopedia. He's going to tell you everything you ask. He's going to answer everything in detail. He's going to go through scouting reports. He's going to go through everything. And then he's just going to have some fun, talk about Jordans and talk about his love for shoes and talk about his family and everything else. I think his coaching tree speaks for itself already, and yeah. we're starting to see the success that a lot of those assistants are having but the only reason I'll say that this is different is because he's got Brock Purdy now. And I think the one thing that you could have said about that Super Bowl a couple of years back, is Jimmy Garoppolo had a wide open, I think it was Emmanuel Sanders, right, streaking oh, down yeah. the middle of the field yeah, He yeah. overthrew him. that That's a completed pass. Game's probably over. Game's probably a San Francisco victory. And now we're talking about who knows if Mahomes gets back and wins one because that was his first victory. Changes the trajectory and the history of the game. So, I think the Purdy is the difference, right, because the defense is still menacing. The running game is even better now with McCaffrey. The weapons arguably are better now because you've got Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and others. So the team in theory is better, and the quarterback play is better. So now it's like, all right, your team's better. Their team might even be worse. They don't have Tyreek Hill. They don't have some of the weapons that they had. Their defense is better, but in in theory, their team isn't quite as complete especially offensively and as explosive offensively as it was a couple years ago. Kelsey's getting older. He's been sensational in the playoffs, but we've seen he's had some down weeks this year. We could go on and on. So this is an opportunity, and I feel like he knows this is an opportunity that he has to grasp.
0: Yeah, no, I I do think the having been there is a big thing for Kyle, and as you mentioned, for the team. There's just something about that of knowing, okay, this is what it's going to take. So we'll see on Sunday. Uh, Obviously, the game is on CBS for the main broadcast, but if you'd like to watch uh, Noah call it, on Nickelodeon, check that out. Uh, flip over for a little bit. Uh, you guys carry, like, the halftime show, too? Like, how does that work? Come on now. Oh, yeah. Not so, it, uh,
2: I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a couple things. Okay. One, our game is going to be coming to you live from Bikini Bottom. So, okay. if you're a SpongeBob fan, that's a big deal. You know that. It's a big deal. Two, the game's going to start with none other than Sweet Victory. That's going to start the broadcast, which is a huge deal. Now the energy is going to be off the charts. And, yes, we will have Usher as well. So
0: it's a a total package. There you go. All right, so that's on Nickelodeon. All right, Uh, Noah, also uh, NBA play-by-play, called Clippers games for a bunch of years on the radio, uh, now working uh, on Yes Network for the Nets as well. So how surprised are you, uh, as we just pop the NBA hats right on, (laughs) that Kyle Kuzma and Tyus Jones are still Wizards and we are talking after the trade deadline? I'm a little surprised, but I'm not completely shocked at the same you know time.
2: Because you know Winger from I know Michael the LA. well, yeah. yeah. I know Michael well, and knowing Michael, he's meticulous and he doesn't get trigger happy. He's not going to just make a deal for the sake of making a deal. He's going to make a deal with the idea of how it's going to impact the team in the future. And I think that he knows they've got some pieces starting with Bilal, and Bilal's going to have to be a building block for them, and he's going to improve. I think... It's really hard now in the NBA. I think we've gotten, and really every sport, but especially in basketball, we've gotten to this point where let's just look at the trajectory of two different guys, right? Bilal Kolobali comes in as the youngest guy in the draft. He is raw. He was a late bloomer. He grew into his body a little bit. And you can see some of that raw ability, but he's young. Right. Now, in the current landscape of the NBA, we just saw this with Killian Hayes, which I'm, I think Killian Hayes is a different circumstance because he's kind of shown what he is already. There, there haven't been enough flashes. But even like Kobe White is a better example, right? Mm-hmm. Kobe White, top ten pick, out of college. He was a one and done, so he was really young coming in. And after year three, everyone's like, I don't know. like Is Kobe White really going to be a guy who can impact the roster, can help winning or any of that? And this year he's having a breakout season, one of the most improved players in the league. He's 22 years old. Right. He's still so young. Versus a guy in Herb Jones who comes out, and or even Terrence Mann, better example. Terrence Mann was 22, 23 by the time the season started. His rookie season started. He was a second-round pick, and he barely played as a rookie. And most people, and I saw it. I was with the Clippers at the time. Most people around, not in the organization, but around, right, fans and other media. and They're like, Ah, oh, well, Terrence Mann's never going to play for them. Well, then Terrence Mann the next year scored 39 points to send them to the Western Conference Finals. Right. So it's interesting because he's a guy who is older and— developed quick into a year but you don't look at those guys the same anymore and I think Michael Winger who was someone who was instrumental in bringing Terrence Mann in who was someone that was instrumental in really finding some of those younger players like a Shea Gilgis Alexander he was huge on SGA and wanted to do everything in his power to keep him on the Clippers as did Lawrence Frank but they were big time talent evaluators so The reason I don't think I'm shocked is because I think he looked at it and said, I can't get enough for the future of this organization. To put the future of this organization, I can get enough for right now, but that's not what this team needs right now. This team needs more moving forward. So he's going to hold on to his pieces and understand that leverage comes with time and leverage comes with circumstance, and that circumstance and time could
0: change. I think the other factor here is leverage comes with a market that actually can give you what you want. Exactly. Um, and I don't think that people fully realize how many picks are locked up that get unlocked at the draft. Correct. Like Kyle Kuzma, like the number of teams that are able to offer a, a first-round pick or two first-round picks or, or some whatever Michael Winger's price is, is very small right now. Uh, draft comes around. That next wave of picks gets unlocked. Some things get paid off in trades that are tying up picks. Like, the market right now, I'm actually, I'm not surprised that a lot of movement didn't, I mean, there's still obviously some big moves. Buddy Heald, probably the biggest one of the day, going to Philadelphia. Can he help keep them afloat uh, while Joel is out? But, I am not surprised with how many contenders have already made deals in the past that have draft capital tied up that we didn't see some more names move to. Yeah, in.
2: and that's hard because you don't think of that stuff because maybe it happened two, three months ago or maybe the, the big contract is limiting something like that because now a team saying, okay, if we trade for this guy, we're going to have to try to pay him at the end of the season. We're not going to have the money for it and then we're just giving up these assets for nothing. So there, there are circumstances that call for it. This was, to your point, one of the less volatile trade deadlines I feel like the last couple of years, not a ton of big names that were moved anyway. And so for the Wizards, the best thing that they can do is be patient because they don't – I understand that everyone's impatient. Everyone wants instant gratification. So everyone wants this organization to improve quickly and rapidly. The best way to do this, the best way to put yourself in a long-term position of success is to be patient and find your right moment. I know everybody hated the process in Philadelphia. I get that. I, I don't agree with everything that they did. But the one thing that it got out of, that they got out of it, It was Joel Embiid, who won the MVP last year, who is one of the best players in NBA history at his position. They got Ben Simmons, which eventually got them James Harden. They got Markel Foltz, which eventually landed them some other assets. And, look, he was a number one overall pick. They could have had Jason Tatum. All of that aside, you look at it and say it netted them legit assets to set them up for the long-term future. Right. So you've got to be patient here. Give it a couple years. Michael is a brilliant basketball mind. You've got to trust him.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. That's Noah Eagle uh, taking off whatever hat uh, we just had him put on, his, his NBA <laughs> yeah. hat. Uh, and then he will parade himself around Radio Row and continue to tell all of the other radio stations about the Super Bowl on – Nickelodeon again you can watch that this Sunday Noah good to see you buddy a pleasure as always thanks for uh, having me one of your pals by the way is Noah's also the by uh, play voice of Big Ten football on NBC Mike Loxley uh, stopping by Locks, man. Uh, Jonathan Ogden before the end of the hour what a show we have today for you here on the team 980 It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980, live from Radio Row in Las Vegas, Super Bowl 58, coming up on Sunday here on the Team 980. I know we just said that we'd uh, have Mike Loxley on the show now. We actually taped that interview before the show, and uh, I'll just be transparent with with, uh, the audience. I didn't edit it together in time to to send it to Anthony to play. So uh, what we're going to do instead, we will have locks on the show today, uh, probably in the 5 o'clock hour, probably at 5.30. I'm going to go edit that so Anthony's ready to play it whenever we can, right now. Uh, In the meantime, yesterday was able to catch up with good friend of the show, Brian Curtis, editor at large at The Ringer, covers sports media. And we talked about uh, a piece that he wrote about Tony Romo, who's calling the game on CBS this weekend, and the uh, growing hatred for that fact. well, as this new sports streaming bundle with ESPN, Fox, etc. So here is my chat with my good friend Brian Curtis yesterday on Radio Row. I actually wanted to ask you, so Brian, uh, if you haven't heard him on the show before, you haven't read his work, uh, you're, you're missing out. Uh, great, great writer for The Ringer, covers all things media. You wrote a great piece on Tony Romo that we're going to talk about in a second. But I remember, I think it was the first year that we actually met at one of these. Um, I'd had you on the show before. We finally got to meet in person, and kind of you were covering the zoo. You were like, I am one of the animals covering the zoo. Um, this is my first one since Miami. Uh, which was pre-pandemic, and the first thing you said to me is, "This, this is nuts. Like this feels pre-pandemic." I think. What do you make of the kind of the re-evolution of Radio Row, and also the fact that everybody's doing this? Everyone's doing the video stuff now.
3: It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, we've had this kind of marriage of sports radio, television, gambling. Yes. And I think all those things have made this not only bigger, but fancier, more technologically interesting, right? So that everybody's kind of on TV at the same time and everybody's doing a podcast and everybody's doing radio and it's, it's cool. And it feels really lively
0: here. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, like from our side of it, um, is like, it almost is different audiences. Like there is a Venn diagram with people that will do what ideally, if we're being transparent with the audience, what we would like, which is you listen to me and you're a DC person driving home in the car. When you get home, you flip me on YouTube and maybe you can't watch on TV. So you go somewhere else and you flip on the app and like you catch a bunch of the show, or if you miss it, you get the podcast. But it really, like you said, it is all of these things simultaneously happening at once and the lines between them all just, I don't even know if they're blurred or just not existent. <laughs>
3: and I've seen so many bits here. Like, I'm trying to do a bit-free week, honestly. You are? Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that, because Carrot Top is here. Mm-hmm. Because this is Vegas, and this is Carrot Top's town. Yes, of course. But you don't even need to be a prop comic, it turns out, in sports radio to do bits. Like, everybody's walking around with cameras, everybody's look, look at me, I'm in a
0: casino, this is crazy! Right, it's like, yeah, we get it, you're in Vegas. <laughs> I, I actually like. There were some bits that I was thinking about doing. And I was like, "You want to know what? Everyone's going to be doing bits. A lot of bits. And, and I'm, if we stumble upon a good one, look, we're still a sports radio show. At the end of the day, we're going to do it. You're shameless enough. Yeah, there's the right I mean, bit. let's be honest. We know the medium. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not going into the week with any planned bits. So there's for better or for worse, we're going to see how that goes. Um, all right. So you wrote about Romo for the Ringer. Um, he is such a polarizing figure. at this point, although I do feel like the, his his uh, approval rating is dropping dramatically from the universal love of him when he started. Like, what do, you, what do you make of what is, like, has he changed or have we changed? I guess is where I'd start. So it's a great question. This is where I start with him,
3: Craig. It's almost like he is one of those NFL quarterbacks who shows so much potential, so many traits, as we like to say, yeah. so many good things, but then also makes so many big mistakes so the thing is not that he is elite, as we like to say about quarterbacks, or terrible. He is sort of both of those things at the same time, sometimes in the same broadcast. And that, to me, is the real puzzle of him because it's not like he's a bad announcer. He's a number one announcer. I firmly believe that. Even when I'm throwing things at the TV, he is a number one guy in the NFL. But I look at some stuff he does, and I'm just like, dude, you're seven years on television? And right. you're still doing these little things, which we can get into if you want to.
0: Yeah, it, it's weird. What do you? Well, let's get into it. What are the? What are the little things?
3: So my big complaint about Tony Romo is loves quarterbacks, loves wide receivers, loves a defensive back once in a while. He doesn't care about anybody else on the field. I mm. mean, just doesn't care. If you watch, it was a play in the AFC Championship game where he was like, "Look at this! Uh, Isaiah Pacheco sprung by a pulling guard." He didn't ever name the guard doesn't even say his name. Later he would say, you know those Ravens tackles, they're the best in the game. doesn't know who they are or doesn't say their name. And it's like this just lack of curiosity about everything in the NFL except quarterback play, scheme, eye in the sky, I'm going to draw you a picture with my telestrator. It's really, really
0: weird. I find that is very interesting. I had not necessarily noticed that. Uh, Brian Ringer from or Brian Curtis from The Ringer. <laughs> Brian Ringer. Brian Ringer. My, I my mean, friends some, call me. That, you've you've been there a while, man. I have. You never it's know. At this point, it's, what, I don't know what Simmons' is what, Yeah, whatever Simmons. Whatever you want, man. <laughs> uh, no, it, Brian Curtis from The Ringer uh, with us here on the Hoffman Show on Radio Row. Um, I think where a lot of people go sideways with Romo is the just over exuberance. For everything. Oh, Jim! Yeah, and it's kind of just, hey, man, like, let it breathe. And I I also wonder, especially as a contrast to Olsen. Who's so authoritative. It almost feels like a kid who can't believe he's there versus Olsen who's like, I am here, I belong. How much do you think that maybe the the comparison with Olsen or like the other alternatives of some of the top guys uh, maybe highlight that thing in Romo that a lot of people don't seem to like anymore?
3: I think it's especially true with Olsen because Olsen will give you 90% of that Romo enthusiasm. Like Olsen feels like I am ready to call this game at Fox. I'm excited. He loves to be there. This is awesome. But moment by moment, I'm in control. Mm -hmm. I have command end of the game. I'm not going to see a play that's so great that I just lose my mind and start screaming, right? I'm going to be like, here's what happened. Let's lock down. Let's do this. And then let's get excited. So yeah, I think think we found like Romo 2.0 or the T-1000, if you want to go back to the Terminator movies. (laughs) We found
0: the more technologically advanced Romo and it is Greggles. Do you think that like, is Romo long for this? Or is he going to have all these people ripping him apart and just be like, I don't need to do this. I've made so much money. So that's a
3: fascinating question there's 17.5 million reasons a year that he is long for this game but you know he was I grew up a Cowboys fan I'm still a Cowboys fan I never got the sense that Tony Romo cared all that much about what people thought you know which
0: is a survival mechanism when you were him as the Cowboys quarterback as
3: the Cowboys quarterback but even then just like you know people would say like he's just not as locked into being a quarterback so there's like I don't care what the haters say part of it but there's also the just you know what This isn't my life in the way that it's Peyton Manning's life when he was playing in the NFL or Tom Brady's life. I just I just am kind of I I care about my job, I wouldn't say that about him, but I just don't get the sense that it like hurts Tony Romo's soul if he gets bad reviews. And then I would say the same thing about Tony the quarterback. It's weird how they're similar characters. You know, with Chris Collinsworth, it seems like if somebody were like Chris didn't do his homework today, that would just kill Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, like he would just be like, I, 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 I I did, I did my homework. I trust me, I did it. With Tony, if you say that, I think he would be like, Oh no, I did it. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Okay. Okay. Okay, okay, Tony. Um, By the way. Total left turn, but you will enjoy this. I was watching a tennis tournament. It was the Cincinnati Open over the summer. And I'd forgotten that Chris Collinsworth is like Mr. Cincinnati. Every other commercial <laughs> was like a Collinsworth bit. So if you ever want some fun Chris Collins, if you ever write a Collinsworth story, is he doing like local Mexican restaurants well, or what's it's it's he more doing? Of like, I think there was like this air conditioning company that was Cincinnati based. And so they were a big wow. sponsor of the tournament. And it was like him and Jack and like their daughter. And like it was, it was like a whole, fa- it was like a whole Collinsworth family thing. You're getting story watching, ideas here. This is yeah, incredible. As I'm watching uh, Alcaraz and Djokovic murder each other, <laughs> at, you know, and sl- uh, Coco Goff have her have her summer of Coco. Anyway, that was on the Tennis Channel in uh, July. We're now on Radio Row in G- uh, February here in, uh, in Las Vegas. That's Brian Curtis from The Ringer. Um, the other big thing that I want to talk to you about real quick uh, uh, in kind of the, the sports media world This new super streaming service thing from Fox and Warner Brothers and ESPN, what do we we know so far? It's really interesting. So we know that the three companies you just mentioned
3: and all the networks that are underneath there, so ESPN, ESPN2 and everything else, you see network, you're going to be able to get them as one streaming package. We also know from CNBC that this is going to cost somewhere between $45 and $50 a month. So the question to me about this new super streamer thing is, who is this for right I think a lot of us have YouTube TV which yep. is like 70 80 bucks a month so uh-huh. yeah. right so what we're gonna do is for twenty dollars cheaper you're gonna get just the sports channels and then take off everything else from that package it's right. like a, it's like a it's a bundle but it's not as big a bundle right so this is one of these things about this age we live in there's all these announcements all these press releases and I'm kind of like are we just making press releases
0: and we're trying to hope there's an audience for what we're selling here? And if it is, we'll follow through on it. Yeah. It is bizarre because I do think that many of us have come to the realization that killing cable was a terrible idea. That it just was easier to have a reliable thing that worked and within one system if you want to switch back and forth between games. And if you're watching one on the ESPN app and one on uh, you know Peacock, like you can't do that on your Apple TV quite as easily. Um, but I also... Like, I, I think it's more interesting. I'm going to play chess here. I'm going go. to be to playing idea. checkers anymore. Uh, like, these companies have also all been in the mix with, for instance, the NFL to take over NFL Network or some of these leagues to, like, really cross the lines of media and sports. And I just think it's fascinating that even without that, they're willing to work together.
3: It is. And I think that's a bunch of people that are groping for a solution, right? They're just like, what are we going to do? And you know, ESPN is, I think, the biggest, just because they were the biggest bully on the block in the cable bundle. Right. Charging people 10, 12 bucks a month. Everybody, no matter whether you watched ESPN or not, now they're like, oh, we lost like 30 million of those subscribers over the last couple of years. That's a real number. And we got to figure out how we're going to pay for this network. And, by the way, sports rights are going up. Right. We've got the NFL. we got the Super Bowl. We're about to have the whole college football national championship playoff. There's just a lot of money there. And everybody's just like, we don't know how to pay for it, so here we go. Right. Here we go, as, as Tony Romo would say. Yeah. And let's figure it out.
0: Yeah, no, it is, it is very bizarre. I will say one thing that I read, I don't know if you saw this as well, is like if you're already a subscriber to one of those other streaming, streaming platforms, so I guess currently for Warner Brothers it would be Max, a slash HBO Max, uh, whatever Fox is offering, and then ESPN+, you would get access to this bundle?
3: I think you could add it on, you could bundle it with your other More. app. Now so I just feel like more, we're, we're just, a bad state farm We're just adding, itself. and this is, again, like you said, cable was, I, I'm like you. I think, the, forget streaming, forget everything. I just, like, I want something where I don't, where I can watch all the games. Yeah. Where I never have to be that guy on Twitter who's like, oh, where's the game? I can't get the game. I want to watch everything as a sports fan. This is a step toward that, but it's not everything.
0: Well, I think it's also fascinating, too, and talk about being off you know, off topic here uh, as we're on, on NFL Media Row, but, like, I look at the NWSL's new media deal or the WNBA's, and and I think the co- some of the the Division One college football uh, conferences are doing this too, where all of a sudden the rights are split. Yes, and it's like I want to watch an SEC football game. Where is it? And I guess NFL fans have been dealing with that for years, but it's like okay, we're Fox or CBS, we got it. But if your if your team and it's also once a week and like whatever, but I, I do think it's interesting, like kind of the the changing dynamics in that way too of. Literally, where is the game? And will I guess what they're betting on is people will pay for this thing so that they know where the game is.
3: Mm-hmm. And again, it gets you partly there, but it doesn't have CBS. It doesn't have your Prime games from Amazon. I mean, it's just a real, like I said, it get, we, we get partway down the road here, but we still don't have something like the old cable bundle. Yeah. Which is kind of what I think everybody wants, even if it's just for
0: sports. Yeah. So, uh, very interesting times in sports media. Brian Curtis, one of my favorite guys to chop it up with. Uh, you could read his work in the Romo piece at theringer.com. Brian, thank you, sir. Always, Craig. Be good on Radio Row. I'll do my best. The Jabberwockies just walked by. Did you see that? Oh, man. We are right. in Vegas. Showtime. Uh, I'll be back in just a moment. All right. That was yesterday. Got the chance to catch up with uh, my pal Brian Curtis. Coming up next, Jonathan Ogden, NFL Hall of Famer, joins us on Radio Row. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. Coming up at the top of the hour, Nora Princiati, good friend of mine, good friend of the show. Uh, She is a writer uh, and podcast host for The Ringer, who has two specialties. She is someone who knows football and the NFL, as well as anyone. She is also incredibly popular in the Taylor Swift universe because of the podcast she does with Nathan Hubbard called Every Single Album. So uh, we're going to have a a really fun conversation with Nora about kind of the intersection of Taylor Swift and the NFL, um, both directly, but also kind of what makes each entity so popular in fandom. I think it'll be really fun to talk to Nora about all of that that all part of our big game coverage on the team 980 presented by solo stove feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit solostove.com uh in just a moment uh you see the if you're watching this is not a taylor swift pun but you see the blank space right here the chair where in a moment we will have seated a Super Bowl champion who is a nine time All Pro and 11 time Pro Bowler. Uh, also, St. Albans alum. Uh, so, no, Danny Rouillet is down the dial at 1067 the fan. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have our own St. Albans alum here uh, as Jonathan Ogden is going to make his way over. He's uh, wrapping up, actually, an interview with NBC4 right now within my eyesight. So, we will. Uh, We'll have him in just a moment. it uh, be fun to talk to him about, uh, obviously, his playing days and, and what he's doing now with the NFL Alumni Association. Uh, so all of that coming up in just a bit. Later on in the show, though, Dan Graziano, ESPN. He did so much reporting around the coaching searches for the commanders and everybody else. So we'll kind of take it back, go behind the scenes there uh, coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, so we got that. Uh, we have... Who am I? Oh, Randy Moss, uh, not the receiver, uh, the NBC reporter. Uh, who's I think uh, he's he's pretty fascinating because he's a guy that covers – he worked for NFL Networks. So he's covered the NFL for a long time, um, and he works for NBC. But he's also big in the horse racing world, which is a sport that has been built on gambling. And so to see the gambling world intersect with the NFL uh, is why when his name came across, I was like, yes, I would very much – like to talk to you so uh nbc reporter randy moss coming up at six thirty tonight uh but right now we are gonna welcome jonathan ogden to the show uh he is coming over of course the nfl hall of famer former ravens tackle uh joins us uh jonathan thank you so much for your time uh very much appreciated uh, back home for you a uh, DC guy here on the radio with us in Washington D.C. I'm Craig Hoffman. Okay, oh, uh, so not, good to meet you, man, and thanks yeah, for coming likewise. on the show.
4: Absolutely, man, no problem. Huh? Another DC station, I love it.
0: Yep. So you got you got DC TV over there. Now you got DC radio. Uh, but you know, it's uh, it's a homecoming for you. And I, I think the reason that you're here is so cool. Um, you're working with the NFL Alumni Association on a really important initiative. Before we talk a little ball, can you tell us about the initiative that you're working yeah, on. Yeah,
4: tackle obesity. Um, what we're trying to do is trying to educate and trying to get the public and former players to understand that obesity is a problem in this country and that we can find, we can do better. And what they want us to understand is that obesity isn't a character flaw. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a disease. It's something that, you know, our metabolisms are different. I'm going to be bigger than you no matter what, but we can all be better and we can all utilize tools out there to eat a little better, do a little more exercise, just to be a little smarter with our lifestyle. And that's what TackleObesity.com, obesity, tackle if you go to their website, they'll give you the tools, they'll you know, help with coaches or things. You know, so we, we want to be a healthier country, and NFLPA is just trying to be proactive and trying to keep this country healthy.
0: Yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, you don't know this, obviously, because we met about oh 45 seconds ago. <laughs> but I actually work as a as a trainer as well, okay. um, and and work a lot in the health and, f- and fitness space. And, and it's always fascinating to me. You talk about how it's seen as a character flaw, and it's right. like no, there. It's it's so multifactorial. Right, it is exactly. genetics. It is environment. It is diet. And I and I'm actually curious for for you as a guy who was an athlete and like surrounded, especially in an o line room, mm-hmm. like. For alignment, it tends to go one of two ways when y'all retire. Either it's like you lose the physical activity and it gets worse, or it's like you were eating so much to just stay at your playing weight that guys drop weight instantly. But what's it been like working with some of your fellow NFL alums specifically in their journeys? Well,
4: like you said, it, there's, it's the gamut. There are some people like the Marshall Yandas of the world that ju- who just will shrivel up to nothing. and. God bless them. <laughs> That'll good for them. And there's other of us who continue to fight the battle our life because, like like we just said, it's not, it's not a, it's a flaw. It's, it's not a flaw. It's the it's, genetics. It's, it's, it's genetics everything. It's the genetics of who we are. So I'm one of those type who I'm still the same size more or less when I play, but I'm also, I eat less. I try to eat more, less fried foods. I try to eat healthy, more salads, you know, more proper things. I do yoga three to four times a week. You know, so I'm always out there trying to stay physically fit and, and healthy. Because we only got one life to live, man, and that's a good TV show. But uh, <laughs> and, you know, and we're, we're out here trying to just do the best we can, you know. And um, I want to enjoy my life. I mean, I, I try moderation, obviously, because we, we can't. It's a lifelong battle. It's not right. a one-week or one-month thing. It's something that we have to learn how to do for the rest of our lives yeah there's
0: so much psychology in it uh we could talk about it for a long long time Absolutely. but uh that's a it's a different show different yeah. different podcast uh in, in my life uh but i do want to talk a little ball with you as a guy who uh was an offensive lineman and as good as anyone who's ever done it in the nfl that's why you got that was that super bowl ring or the hall All, of fame, hall, ring hall on? fame ring okay fame. I, I only caught uh, a very large shine reflection <laughs> oh, in my oh, eyes oh, sorry, oh, yeah i know oh, sorry. Yeah, the, the little a little one you got one of each so you know that's <laughs> that's, that's nice um obviously the commander's just hired Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator, air raid guy. And I think one of the big questions that we have is the marriage of the pass and the run and kind of the protection scheme. When you've seen like successful offense and, and offenses that make offensive linemen's jobs easier and thus uh, better chances of actually being successful. What are the things that you look at from a protection run game and how that marries with the pass game that, that you think are essential?
4: I, well, first of all, I'm old school because I played in the 90s, so I'm a huge believer that the run sets up the pass. Or in a in few circumstances, you can kind of pass up the run, like Peyton did that somewhat. But uh, the key is to have good players. I mean, it really is. I don't care what scheme you have, there's no genius scheme that can outfox great players. So, I mean, but it's a combination. You got to have the good coaches, you got to have the good players, you got to have the right scheme, you got to have it all. Um, so. But to answer your question, a good running game and passing game are symbiotic. They play off of each other. You know, you have good play action runs that will set up the pass and the pass that you line up in pass formations, then you run the draw on them. You know, you, you learn to kind of take what the defense gives you, but to try to confuse them. But you got to have players at all positions who connect to you. You got to have a good running back, you got to have a good quarterback, good receivers, good linemen. So it, it's kind of like you got to figure out who you have. And how can you maximize the players' talents that you have the best? And so that's the challenge of being an offensive coordinator is these are my guys. Okay, what do they do best? How am I going to get this? Not like run my system, but we're going to morph my system a little bit to work with a talent that we have while we maybe go look for talent that can do the things that I really want to do. Right. But if we don't have that, how can we get the best out of this? I'm not going to force this round peg, well, square peg into a round hole. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find a way to get something out of them.
0: So when you see – obviously, because, like, anyone who gets drafted in the NFL is supremely talented physically gifted-wise. Yes. And the coaching is part of what you said, obviously, with the, hey, let's make sure that we're putting guys in the right positions. But it's also the ability to teach. Yes. Like, who are some of the best teachers that you ever work with and how do they shape your career?
4: Hmm. I felt like that was
0: an original question, Cy. Si. You're going to do a thousand interviews today, and I asked something that hadn't been asked. I win. I just won the Super Bowl. I don't think I get a fancy ring, but that's okay. <laughs> All right.
4: okay. okay, so you said the question was. The question, and then no, I ruined you know, it. No, and know, then no, I ruined no, it. No, you were great. Uh, no, because no, you were no, right. The question right. was about the best teachers yes, that you've teachers, worked with. Teachers, teachers, teachers. Um, I, I know uh, the best teacher I had was probably my high school coach. And that's probably where I learned the most. Because. I never had any real... What happens with offensive linemen is you learn bad habits. Uh, Mm. Young linemen don't bend their knees, they don't put their hands right, and you gotta... If you just depend on pure talent and don't learn the technique at a young age, you got a lot of bad habits you have to break. So I was very fortunate to have a um, a man who was my coach in high school, who played the position, he taught me good technique. Mm. So that really helped me so when I got to college, I never had to break any bad habits. Now, the coaches in college might have added a few things to it. Right. You know, especially scheme-wise and combination block-wise and short setting and things of that nature. But the basics of hand placement, foot width, knee bend, all those things that are what you have to have as an offensive lineman really were instilled in me in high school. And in the the pros, I I had some good coaches as well. Um, But it's more about – to me, it's more about the schemes that they implement, coaching and in the pros. You know, technique is, they teach technique as well, but it's more about that. Gotcha.
0: Well, I would love to talk to you more. Hopefully we can get something scheduled, uh, not when you're running around doing a 1,000 interviews. I know, Because uh, I'd love to talk to you more about O-Line Play, but also about the initiative that you're working yeah. on. I'll uh, reach back out to the people who are, who are uh, parading you around here, uh, and we will uh, try to set that up. But, Jonathan, right, appreciate the time. It's Jonathan Ogden, everybody, D.C. native St. Albans alum and NFL Hall of Famer with us here on the Hoffman Show. Nora Princiati from The Ringer joins us next. All right, welcome back to Radio Row Hour 2 here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, We are – Anthony, we can skip the fancy not-my-beat imaging. Uh, I don't think it actually does justice for our next guest because, as I told you via text message, Nora Princiati, good friend and uh, ringer staff writer and podcast host. There's never been a – or anyone who has had more of, like, this is my Super Bowl than you you this week.
5: Thank you. I agree. I agree.
0: Uh, So, Nora, obviously, as many of you remember her work for The Washington Times, writing about football. She hosts the Ringer NFL show. um, But she also hosts a podcast called Every Single Album, where you look at every single album that Taylor Swift has put out. True. And that has launched you into the Taylor Swift universe as a media person as well as a a fan.
5: Yeah. I mean, at this point, I've I've covered the NFL professionally for eight years. I've covered Taylor Swift professionally for four years. I've been, you know, deeply interested in her for much longer than that. But it is it, it the fact that the two have collided is so not anything I ever assumed would happen, particularly not in this way.
0: Yes. Like you oh yeah, she's doing Super Bowl halftime. Like that would be the sure. collision, but no, she is uh, featured on every single broadcast because she's dating one of the best players in the league and is now seeing her fan base mixed with the NFL fan base. Kill a that draft. wasn't on, that wasn't on the on the On the, the bingo card. The docket. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, But so I think the best use of our time in terms of a conversation about where all these things intersect is about fandom, because the intensity of fandom in the NFL is as intense as any sport in the world. And it is a large because, like, obviously there are very intense fans of any sport, any team, whatever. But like the number of very intense NFL fans, extremely high. Uh, Taylor Swift is as popular as any pop star, not only in the world now, but as any pop star basically in the world ever. When you think about like. Hardcore NFL fan, hardcore Taylor Swift fan. What are the similarities? Like, what, what drives that? I
5: mean, the similarities are that it's this intensely felt thing. It's, it's very personal to people. I mean, you know, Taylor Swift is, is this woman who has, over the course of her career, like, she's made this legacy of, of kind of like writing the interior lives of her fans into song. And, you know, I, I try to be sort of like a, a, a reasoned and sober fan, but on some level, we all feel like she's speaking directly to us. And so it's this relationship with someone who like, I've never met her, I probably never will meet her. And, and most people are in that position if, even if they love her. And there's a thing with, with rooting for a sports team where it's like, it's, you're so separate from it, but it feels like a part of you. And that that disconnect, you know, it's often at the root of, like, the best parts of fandom and the worst parts of fandom. Yes. Where we get way too carried away or when we get carried away in a way that's just sort of, like, magical and you get to put yourself into something that's not actually a part of you.
0: You find yourself crying because your team wins and all you did was watch on TV.
5: Right. And it's cathartic and it's emotional and it's meaningful and it, it forms bonds between people. I mean, the most fun part of this season for me has just been talking to other people about it just been Mm. talking to people who are are enjoying, maybe they're enjoying, enjoying tuning into a three and a half hour football broadcast, but also like, maybe they're just liking the memes and that's fine because we're all sort of connected in this thing. And like, I, I love football as a game. I love the X's and O's. I think it's a beautiful game. I think it's fascinating and complicated, but football is important to me because it is culture. And Taylor Swift is also important to me because she is culture, and the things that like connect us as, as people and that sort of connective tissue of life, I just think it's really, really interesting and, and having it merge like this puts together more different swaths of humanity, right than just doing one by itself or just doing the other by itself.
0: I think another thing that just hit me really hard as you were answering that question, and I think about. Kind of how I was taught to do this job is can you create, like, heroes and villains, right? As a storyteller, there's, like, a heroes and villains element. And the reason it works so well in sports is because it's so clear. Like, there, there is not a gray area. Like, there's two teams, they're playing, there's a scoreboard, right. and one wins and one loses. And you, if you wear burgundy and gold, you hate that blue team from Dallas with all your heart and soul. Right. And even if you're rooting for laundry, or, you know, the players change and, you know, Dan Quinn was the Dallas defensive coordinator. Now he's the commander's head coach. I hate that guy. Now I love him because he's mine. Like there is that clear heroes and villains. And I think when you listen to the way that Taylor writes, I think she's actually that that might be like one of the superpowers is because of the way she tells the stories in her songs, often many of her own, like. Are they more complicated in real life? Maybe, but the way she writes it, I feel like is very clear, like hero and villain. To the point that antihero, like that whole sentiment, like she kind of even flips it on its head. Right.
5: Well, she's really—I mean, I think the story of her, her public persona more than her like career as a musician and an artist. But it's it's one of it's one of choosing foils, and mm. and the idea of Taylor Swift as underdog has been a very complicated one throughout the years because she came up in a country music ecosystem that had close to no history of accepting someone that young who was also female and sort of clawing her way into nashville was genuinely deft and and difficult and there was a lot of her early career where that was sort of the story of like oh my gosh there's this like supernova kid who's doing you know who's taking on like big bad masculine nashville which like that's sort of the country music identity within the music industry then she got more famous and she started to to become a little bit more of a true pop star and it got complicated because she was still sort of writing these these underdog stories and you know she's cheer captain and i'm on the bleachers and i think for a lot of people who were sort of in it from the beginning and also for whom the songs really resonated it made a lot of sense to some people who were a little bit more on the outside of it she was becoming rich and famous beyond her or anyone's wildest dreams she was dating some of the most famous men in the world and the idea that like A high school bully was sort of her was like taking her on. Just (laughs) started to get a little bit incongruent with how people saw her, which I think I mean you know we don't have to get into it. But like when the Kanye West VMA's incident happened, that was why that like to me that was why that was such a lightning rod is because you had a lot of people who were like, who the heck is she kidding? Like. She's a victim of this, and she's, like, so surprised, even though it's the, you know, umpteenth award she's won this year. And then, you know, all the fans were like, no, that's me up there. Like, I see myself being sort of attacked. And so there's just sort of this fundamental disconnect. To bring it back around, I think as she's gotten older, and particularly as she's gotten engaged in some of the business dynamics of the music industry and really taking that on, I think she's gotten very smart about choosing who the foil is. Because when she's misstepped, I think it's been underestimating her own power, mm. and sort of coming off as punching down because she doesn't hasn't embodied the place that that she's in. I think right now in this era of Taylor Swift, she's done a really good job of sort of like understanding the power that that she wields. So in that sense, like. The, the hero, villain, anti-hero, you know, favorite underdog dynamic that is so core to sports, it is really, really core um, to her story as an artist definitely but especially as someone who we just like consume in public as a celebrity.
0: Nora Princiati is our guest here on the Hoffman show uh the podcast NFL the NFL or the Ringer NFL show and every single album no matter which one uh which side of this conversation interests you more she has a podcast for you. I, do. I it's actually interesting to hear you describe that though because and I'm not just saying this because like she's now associated with the Chiefs because of Travis but like the Chiefs are the latest example of seeing that same arc. Like they're the underdog story, right? They're they're led by Andy Reid, chronic underachiever in Philadelphia. Patrick Mahomes, who everyone knew was like ridiculously talented, but he wasn't the number one overall pick. It's like, ah, can this Texas Ted, right. Texas Tech fling it kid put it together? Uh, Travis Kelsey, third round pick, and like they kind of put it together. Underdogs, everybody loves them. They're going up against Brady uh, right. to, to start, and now. They got to the point where I feel like we are, especially if they win on Sunday, we are at a mega tipping point with the Chiefs, where everyone kind of hates them now, and all they've done is continue Do you think to be they them. Will
5: though, like that's I, that's a huge question to me because they're not.
0: I feel like it's already happening. See, I agree with you, but because this because the way fandom is is so emotional, and it's not rational, I like I already sense that it's happening. Like, people around here in this zoo of media dorks that we all are, like, people are picking the Chiefs. But the the narrative around Kansas City is now like, oh, they're spoiled or they're this. And all they've done is continue to do the same exact things they've done the I whole time. I find that
5: so slippery, though, because what is it? Like, why are they spoiled? You know, with the Patriots, it was so easy. It was Spygate. It was Deflategate. They're cheaters. They hate each other. Brady is like this, you know, becoming this woo woo guy who doesn't want you to eat strawberries, and <laughs> and Bill Belichick has never smiled. It's really Andy Reid is like, here's my cheeseburger recipe, right. and Patrick Mahomes is like, I have a goofy voice and I never say anything, right? Like, but
0: I think it's you know they they get the commercials and it's the fame and you know they get a bad call in whatever game that was and Mahomes like loses his mind, right? And, you know all those things that were admirable about his competitiveness and you know all that stuff, and also. Part of it is just the heroes and villains. Like they've made their rounds of the NFL, kicking everyone else's ass. And like when the bully has beaten you up enough times, you're like, "Hey, I don't right. like that guy anymore."
5: Right. I, I, I think you're spot on in terms of the dynamic. To me, it is just a really open question which one of those things happens. Because if they win this game, I think that they are chasing Brady and the Patriots, and literally no one else. Um, and you know, when we talk about the josh allen bills or the joe burrow Bengals, it's not sort of like is there a 1b to this era it's like we sort of understand that everybody is second yeah it's the 96 bulls right it's jordan or it's to some extent you know brady and the patriots with a with a who's going to be the giants of this era thrown in i think that's very true and if that does happen i will be very curious to see if like league-wide people find something to latch onto to hate them with because i just don't know what it like Well, i mean
0: the so part of it goofy. too is like and not to be like the sports radio guy who's like well my mom but like i've had my mom is a football fan and like she is one of these people that is just like i want to see someone else win and like there's part of that too this um this idea that like we want to spread the wealth which is hilarious because i think if we're in the business which we are we know that's actually not true like Greatness Drives Ratings And interest And you know Yes If Steph Curry And LeBron Are playing in the Sixth straight NBA Finals Eventually There is some Like yes Something new Um, But I do think Part of it is just like People feel bad For Josh Allen Like people feel bad For Joe Burrow People feel bad And want to see Someone else win And so Um, It's funny because, like, the Niners have been the best team in the NFC the last, what, six years, if you take the aggregate. But they are now seen as, like, oh, this underdog, go get him. Kyle Shanahan, you underdog, you, uh, because of who they're facing.
5: Right. I will say, I was very happy to to hear Mahomes this week. He got some sort of underdog question. He was just like, I I don't really ever think that I'm the underdog, which to me is so refreshing. Because even those, like, I mean, I covered some of those Patriots teams. And they were so good at twisting themselves in knots, being like, everybody's counting us out. I mean, they did it. You know, look, maybe they knew something that everybody didn't because they went on to lose the game. But the Eagles Super Bowl, Tom Brady's going up against Nick Foles. Right. And they were they were just that entire week. They were like, we're the, nobody believes in us. We're the underdogs. It's just, it is such an athlete talent. So I do have to hand it to Mahomes for flipping that on its head a little bit in the middle of the week. and just saying, like, mm, I, I sort of think I'm going to win most games.
0: Uh, who do you think is going to win the game?
5: I do uh, The Kansas City Chiefs, yeah. I feel
0: like that is the – the. I'm now, I need to come up with a new phrase because I just feel like I'm saying the same thing to every guest now. But it does feel like the, the sliding sentiment of the week is everyone's just like, oh, no, we, we bet against them with Buffalo. We bet against them with Baltimore. And we can't possibly be stupid enough to do that again.
5: I mean, that's me because I, I really owed Chiefs fans – an apology because late in the late in the year, I was so out on them. I, I just really I mean, after
0: what happened to them in Baltimore, like, I mean, sorry, not in Baltimore. After what happened to them uh, on Christmas Day, same day against yeah. the Raiders, like, makes sense.
5: Yeah, and it just you know statistically, there was something that really ended up being compelling to me, which was just that um, through the end of December, if you looked at the numbers, Mahomes throwing to running backs and tight ends was still Mahomes, you know, was a top three quarterback. Mahomes throwing to wide receivers was like statistically equivalent to Mac Jones.
6: And I was just A, like, a phrase, hey,
5: by the
0: way, you never want to hear you about You never yourself.
5: want to hear it. You just never, ever, ever want to hear statistically equivalent to Mac Jones. It's very bad. And I just went, you can't win a Super Bowl like that. I'm sorry. You just, it's not possible. I'm done. Like, I'm. I'm, I'm not going to do the thing that I did at the beginning of the season where I picked kansas city until someone proves otherwise I, this is actually the thing that that turns that around and then they're in the friggin' super bowl so right. i'm just like all of right of course
0: um i think there was a stat whatever the last game that mvs dropped the ball was it packers maybe uh that they had the the no call pi oh, situation yes. i think it was after that game that was the fourth time that a game-winning pass had or potential game-winning pass had hit a receiver in the hands and fall into the turf, yeah, which is just bananas. And you're literally just going, if literally they're wide receivers, receiver is in the name, could catch the football, this would be one of the best teams in the NFL. And fortunately for them, like, Rashi Rice has learned how to catch, and MVS makes a huge catch in one of the playoff games. Like, it, it really, for all of the problems that it seemed like they had, it really kind of came down to the fact that their receivers couldn't catch the ball, and now suddenly they are.
5: Well, and also, in, in- – the fact that they had continued to try to incorporate those guys, right? Where pretty late in the year, and they'd had the issues. They still, you know, Kadarius Tony was getting some meaningful snaps, and uh, Miquel Hardman was getting carries near the goal line, and, and it wasn't working out. And just going like, "Geez, like if if these players have to be getting the ball in high leverage situations, I don't trust this team. What they've done." Which, it's sort of in hindsight seems so obvious, but in the moment it seems like, well, you can't get away with that. They've eliminated those players from the offense. Right. It's Travis Kelsey, it's Richie Rice, it's Isaiah Pacheco, it's Mahomes scrambling, and that's that's what we do.
0: Yeah, I and mean. That,
5: it's just, that's it.
0: By the way, what a wacky bit that Eric Bieniemy was in the locker room the other day
5: yeah that's
0: that's tampering he was under contract with with the commanders. Well, but
5: so i i saw a story in the washington post i think that published even just a couple hours ago that, okay. it, that allegedly they gave him permission
0: okay that would um, make a lot of sense i know nikki was working on that
5: yeah yeah so i think that went up this afternoon and it it did it's funny because it wasn't.
0: I guess like Eb wasn't super confident he was getting the head coaching job. Well, so here. that's
5: that's what it. That's what she wrote in the story, and there wasn't sourcing attributed to it. So I wonder exactly where that information is coming from. Although, obvi- like, like yeah, I we're not second guessing Nikki. Yeah, this is just sort of like journalism hat on. Yeah. Um. But it, yeah, it was that once it was sort of clear that he wasn't getting a job and that he was going to be on his way out there, um, they granted him permission to do it. That is interesting, just because. The, the job stuff was not wrapped up by then. No. No. But to me, that indicates that they they knew what was going on with him close to two weeks ago, which is just a little bit of an interesting wrinkle.
0: Yeah, there's a uh, coaching search that had way too many wrinkles. I'll put it that way. Uh, enough wrinkles for us all. Uh, Nora Parinciati, uh what are you working on for, like, are you writing something this week? Are you just doing pods? Like, what's, what's your week look like?
5: Yeah, so I have a story um, just sort of about... How Taylor is, has influenced the NFL ecosystem that's up on the ringer.com now. Um, and tons of pods. I did the press box pod with Brian Curtis oh. today. Ringer NFL. Brian, who was on always. the show
0: earlier today. No way. Yeah, Brian wow. Curtis, longtime friend. Good Bri- dude.
5: Brian Curtis excellent people yes. um and i'm surprised to hear you say that even though well i'm, I'm not actually but cowboys <laughs> noted cowboys fan Brad yes you know, he
0: says it every time he's on the show i'm like brian do you trying to make the audience hate you what what are you doing
5: <laughs> that's sort of impossible he's like the nicest guy ever I know. Um, but theRinger.com, every single album the ringer nfl show bang, radio bang. row
0: there you go that's nora princiotti uh when we get back uh let's play our interview with mike loxley from a little earlier today the maryland coach joins us next here on the team 980 We're back on Radio Row here on the Team 980. Of course, you're home for Maryland football. And look look who's next to me. It's the man in charge of Maryland football, Mike Loxley. How are you, Coach? Craig, what's up, man? Great to have you. Great to have you. Um, So I want to talk ball with you in a second. I want to talk about this game. I want to talk about kind of where the commanders go. I know you know Caleb Williams really well, and so get some thoughts on Caleb here in a few minutes. But tell us what you're doing out here on on Radio Row with the the coalition that you got
7: going. Yeah, I'm here on my part-time job. I'm here to to do some good, uh, create some value. for the National Coalition for Minority Football Coaches, which is a passion project I started in 2020, president and founder of the organization, uh, where our job is to prepare, promote, and produce the next level or next wave of minority football coaches, from youth football all the way up to the NFL. And, you know, I'm here at the NFL uh, media, uh, Super Bowl, Radio Row, to promote the job that you know some of these minority coaches have done you look and see that we had four hired in the NFL cycle this year uh, with Antonio Pierce right here with the Raiders uh, Raheem Morse over in Atlanta Gerard Mayo up there in New England and then David Canales down there in in Carolina uh, all getting opportunities to lead as minorities and it's great to see Uh, it shows that the the work is uh, being done behind the scenes to be able to have four coaches uh, four minority coaches get opportunities in one cycle at the nfl is huge uh, in the college game we saw sharon moore get the opportunity to lead michigan uh, which sharon came through our academy um, you see guys like marcus freeman and tony elliott who came through our academy that we put on through the coalition and, and again you know the coalition isn't here to tell people to hire minority coaches we're here to tell you that we have minorities that are prepared and capable of leading programs and and, and we're starting to see that come to fruition a little bit. Do you know uh, Brian Johnson at all? Of course I know B.J. And okay. The just hired him this well, morning. Well, he's part so. of our academy. Yep. Um, uh, well, he was part about of our him. academy. Uh, you know, I've known him since his days at Planet Utah and then coming up through the Urban Meyer Tree. Uh, did a tremendous job developing Dak Prescott down there in uh, Mississippi State. Mm. Was his position coach there working under Dan Mullen. Uh, went to Florida, played a, a role in, in Anthony Richardson's recruitment and development. Uh, and then he had Jalen Hurts, who pl- he played for Jalen's dad in high school. And right. so, you know, he coached Jalen and was the coordinator there in, in, in Philly. And you know, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, because of the relationship I had with Jalen, I hate to see that somehow, some way, he was the guy that, that's not there as if, you know, it was it was his doing. But as we know, when you get into this business, man, uh, it's a production-based business, Uh, I think he's a big-time coach, and I think that he's a guy that will be a – a guy to lead a program here in the near future.
0: I think something we saw, for instance, last year in Carolina, is you can have a lot of smart minds in a room, but if it's not a cohesive vision as as a football staff, it's not going to go very well. How do you think that that Brian fits with what Cliff Kingsbury does stylistically and, and whatever you know personality wise about Cliff?
7: Yeah, I think the big thing with Brian and, and what he he does is, uh, you know, obviously they're going to run Cliff stuff and and and. Cliff has uh, a system that he knows really well. Is the air raid system that he's adapted to the pro game. And you saw what he did with Kyler Murray. I think what Brian will bring to the game and, and, his, and the experience, you know, of, of the college system like Cliff had, he has a baseline of what that's like. And now he's been in the league for the last few years. I think those two will work really, really well together. And I think uh, Cliff will benefit from having Brian Johnson running the quarterback room.
0: Uh, no doubt about it. Mike Loxley with us here on Radio Row, the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. Um, so the, the quarterback position itself, I don't know if you heard, Coach, I know you got a day job and a part-time job, but the commanders are, are in that quarterback market, <laughs> uh, and they've got that number two pick. Um, you know Caleb Williams really well from, from being around the DMV And obviously now there's a lot of people saying, like, oh, they hired Cliff. But I think Cliff can work with any of these three guys. But let's stick to Caleb for a second. What makes Caleb so special beyond the the stuff that we see on tape, his ability to run around? Because you don't get that tag of generational prospect just because Mm -hmm. of your highlight film. There's got to be more to it. What's the more to it?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the substance. I mean, you know, because of having been a part of his recruitment process and obviously went to Oklahoma, transferred there, got to know he, his dad, his family really, really well. Um. everybody else may be surprised, but he's been destined for this opportunity. I mean, he's kind of like how the Mannings were raised mm-hmm. to be champions. Well, he was raised to be a champion. You look at the success he had at Gonzaga. All right, Gonzaga wasn't uh, the, the school in the WCAC that was winning the championships. They were kind of the underdog, and Caleb took that program and, and, and lifted it, you know, single handedly with some of the plays that he made. I mean, I think back to the high school championship game that he won on the, the last play of the game, Hail Mary, touchdown throw. Uh, he did that as, I think, a 10th grader. Um, the success he had throughout his career in high school, going to Oklahoma, faced a little adversity, playing behind Spencer Rattler to get this chance. He comes in at halftime of a game they were losing and brings them back. I mean, he has a resume of success, and it's not luck because everything he has done has been really intentional, and it's from the leadership of his his uh, team led by Carl, his dad, the mom, and, and his family. But then just, you know, they've put him in the right positions, and people don't understand to, to be able to meet the expectation like he has, you have to sacrifice a lot, and he's sacrificed Uh, Being out in the public eye and and all those things, but he consistently works on the game and the one thing I'll tell you and and I I said this I said this to Jalen Hurts when I was talking to him about you know Quarter celebrity quarterbacks don't work and I don't you know He does the TV and the commercials, but you got to have the substance and you got to do the work behind the scenes And I know that he did the work uh, behind the scenes
0: the old Parcells adage there. Yeah Uh, celebrity quarterbacks absolutely not Uh, so if I if I'm a scout and I'm I'm saying like all right coach I watched Caleb I love this off schedule stuff's crazy it's like him and Pat and you know that's it they can do some of the stuff that Caleb is doing but I'm concerned about how he's going to be on schedule what do you what what's your response do you feel like as a coach you can coach that up or are you like no oh, I share definitely. that concern like how do, how does that process go
7: Yeah you 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 have to have a foundation but I also think that because of his ability and playmaking ability that you don't want to overcoach it. You want to have a system and through that system, when you develop and run offensive plays or systems, there's reads, there's starting points, ending points, you know but then what happens in between sometimes is innate and uh, he's very coachable. Uh, the system Cliff runs, allows the flexibility and that's the one great thing about the Air8 system is that it's uh, very versatile. Um, mm-hmm. It's a read system. It's, if they're deep, you just break your route off and stop. Well, I mean, you have that type of off-scheduleness in how the system is run. So um, it may be a match made in heaven and maybe, you know, the direction of hiring a cliff because of the type of system that would fit the type of quarterback. Because here's what I do know, that your system has to match your quarterback. Your quarterback doesn't necessarily, you know, make your system. So right. whatever he does well or you want to accentuate and you want to emphasize and you want to make that a big part of what you do. Uh, Michael Oxley
0: is with us here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, do you have a, I know you obviously during the season are pretty co- busy coaching your team and neither of these guys are in your conference, but do you have a, any kind of file on, on Jaden, on Drake May, the other two guys that will probably be in consideration?
7: Yeah, I recruited Drake um, a, a little bit. You know, Scott Chadwick was his high school coach down in Charlotte. Uh, you know, was talented, comes from a talented family, obviously. brother played basketball at North Carolina. Uh, he was a great basketball player as well. He's one of those guys that, and when I think of quarterbacks, like I think of Steve Young, I put him in a comp of a Steve Young uh, in that, you know, probably a scratch golfer, can probably hit 300 in baseball, will you up in a basketball game, can shoot the three, just a, a great athlete that just does everything and makes it look really easy. That's kind of who Drake May is. When I think of Drake May, that's what I think of, It's just an all-around great athlete that whatever he does, he does well. He can make all the throws. He's sneaky, sneaky athletic. Like, I mean, he is, you know, when you think of Steve Young, I mean, most people look at it, but Steve Young was really athletic, and they used to use him as a compliment because of his athleticism. And, you know, Drake can make all the throws. Uh, the key, and this is what I don't know about he or Jaden Daniels, because obviously when I look at Jaden Daniels, you know, I think of a, a C.J. Stroud or Deshaun Watson-type comp in that he's going to be a guy that makes plays with his feet, makes plays with his arms. But the question with both these guys, including and Caleb included, is can he get himself protected? Does he know how to get himself protected? Because the NFL game, those off-platform throws that you see out of Caleb, there's more of those in the NFL game than maybe college because of the ball being in the middle of the field and the complexity of the blitzes that you see uh, in the NFL. And so being able to get yourself protected and then being able to protect the football.
0: Uh, obviously, we're all looking forward to the game on Sunday here in Vegas. Uh, who you got in that one and why?
7: Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm leaning San Francisco. I haven't really studied it. We've been in recruiting for the last six weeks. And uh, uh, to be honest, it, it, recruiting wore me out this year. But <laughs> when I think of San Fran and, uh, you know, as I work toward my my future job, which is hopefully doing this. San well, you're Fran, welcome back anytime. San you want from from an to so yeah, San Fran know. from 1 to 53, mm-hmm. really talented roster probably more talented than Kansas City's 1-53. But here's the uh, secret sauce to, to it is that Kansas City's number one player is really, 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 really special. And he's been in this game before. And so that experience that he has of playing in these games, you know, when you look at it on paper, Sam Francisco should be the better team. They should, If they do what they're capable of doing, which I expect them to, uh, they'll win the game but you can never count out patrick mahomes man he is a a unique and one of one number one
0: yeah he is he's something else he just he breaks all the laws i can't yeah. i can't imagine how frustrating it is to coach to against defend that and yeah i wouldn't want to hey coach we did everything right yeah good job yeah. Uh, too bad he scored on us like just that's that's Mahomes. sometimes that happens yep uh Coach Locksley, you hear him, of course, uh, all the time. Terps talk here on the Team 980. You listen to his team play here on the Team 980. Uh, The work you're doing is so great, man. I'm excited to hear more about this coalition and continue to see the results. Uh, Thanks so much for stopping by.
7: We appreciate you. Thanks, man. Appreciate the partnership we have.
0: Welcome back to Radio Row. It's the Hoffman Show live from Las Vegas on the Team 980 and always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Uh, I have the empty chair back next to me. Uh, That is where Dan Graziano from ESPN will sit in just a few minutes. But uh, we'll take the time now to talk about the NBA trade deadline. And uh, there's actually in some ways more to talk about what didn't happen than what did happen. Uh, There were a couple of big trades for sure. Um, The biggest one probably being Buddy Heald going to uh, the 76ers from Indiana, which I like for Philly because they need someone to take shots with Joel Embiid out for the next at least month uh, as he got that meniscus repaired uh, surgically in the last week or so. So with with Embiid out, to, one, you get another shooter and a floor spacer and a guy who's not afraid of big moments, which is always something that's great in the playoffs. Like, there just aren't a lot of guys that could score 40 in a playoff game, and Buddy Heald is one of them. Now, he's not going to do that for you consistently. Um, otherwise, he'd be sticking on teams more than the bouncing around that he's done. One of these guys that always seems to be tradable. Uh, like, he's always he's always good enough that someone wants him, but not so good enough that people keep him long-term. It's kind of a wacky space that certain NBA players find themselves in, um, and Buddy Heald is in that space. Um, But then you see, like, all of a sudden, Monte Morris goes to Minnesota uh, last night, and you're like, wait, that's where Tyus Jones was supposed to go. And you see P.J. Washington get traded from Charlotte to Dallas, and you're like, wait, that's where Kyle Kuzma was supposed to go. And lo and behold, here we are, uh, Anthony, and and Kyle Kuzma is still a wizard. And Tyus Jones is still a wizard, and I think Tyus especially is the one that's that's a little befuddling because he's an expiring contract. Um, there is a chance that he leaves for nothing in free agency, but I also think something that really smart NBA people that I like, like Zach Lowe, was talking about this on his podcast earlier in the week, uh, pointed out that like the the. F- they're, they could just resign Tyus Jones in the offseason if they could feel pretty good about doing it because they can offer him more money. And Tyus Jones will be just as tradable this offseason as he would be uh, right now. And perhaps he becomes more tradable this offseason because more teams are actually going to have the draft capital to, to do it. And, and that's the thing that I think people underestimate right now is like, you look at teams that came out pretty early today, or at least it felt early because I'm out here on the West Coast, um, but I guess these teams are too. But, like, the Lakers and the Warriors, it comes out, are like, hey, we're uh, we're not going to make any moves. And you're like, oh, well, if you're not going to make any moves, and then Dallas trades for P.J. Washington, like, you run out of spots real fast. And, and I think that's the thing, Anthony, is, like, the market this summer, you're going to have more teams that didn't accomplish their goals, and you're going to have more teams with the first-round picks that – uh, that the Wizards and, and Winger and Dawkins actually want in return for these players, and I, especially when you're in no rush and there's no real downside to waiting, like at that point you just wait.
8: Yeah, and I think uh, Noah, when we had him on earlier, I think he did a good job of explaining, uh, you know, Michael Winger's, you know, train of thought having, you know, covered the Lake, I mean, uh, the Clippers um, a little bit, but sure. I just, I, I just feel as though. Um, I think he was right. You know, that there's no re- there's no reason to panic right now. You know, at the NBA trade deadline, everybody's you know panicking like who's gonna uh, you know get a trade and who's gonna do this, who's gonna do that, and the, you know the Wizards we just stood pat, and I think that's different. You know, our previous regime or you know just in general being in D.C. How <laughs> the previous we just...
0: regimes would have traded a first-round pick to add a player
8: <laughs> exactly. So it's it's just I, I think we we finally have people that are, you know, a little competent, you know, not competent, a little, I guess, smarter when it comes to, you know, these dealings and things of that nature. And I think we we attacked this uh, deadline correctly, and I think it's going to pan out for us in the long run.
0: Yeah, and the other thing I think that it's important to say is, and I had this, I don't want to say battle, but, like, I, I had this conversation on Twitter with a bunch of fans. I did, I don't know if you saw, I did, like, an AMA during my flight because it's a, it's a five-and-a-half, Hour flight from DC to uh, or, or from from DC to Vegas, and we uh, we I just did like an AMA, and there was a bunch of Wizards fans talking about uh, like, well, like you got to figure out who Kyle Kuzma is or who uh, Denny Avia is, and Balakulabali needs more shots, and you know you can't do that with Kyle Kuzma here, and it's like, you know, you could. One that you could always shut someone down with an injury. You can always do whatever uh, from a roster standpoint. You can just give a guy a night off and say like, "Hey, Denny, you're gonna we're gonna run the offense through you tonight." But two, I think there's this there's this thought that like, Denny Avia, we gotta find out if he can be a number one option or a number two option. It's like we know that answer. The answer is no. And it's fine if Denny Avia is a ninth pick in the draft, is like a really good three, four, five, or like a seventh guy on a team that's a stud that you can count on as a seventh guy on a championship team. Like there's real value in a player like that, especially with his specific skill set that can play at a different tempo and and, and all of those things. So um, the idea that you have to find out, and so you have to, there's this downside to not making trades because the roster doesn't change and you can't, then you have to give shots and minutes to certain players. One, no, you don't. And two, I, I also think that the, the there's an idea with development that more is always better. That, like, the best thing for Bilal Koulibaly is uh, to, just to take 20 shots a night, and that's how he's going to develop. And what I would tell you is, uh, if you want a, a counterexample, look at Sam Howell. Look at what Eric bien did to Sam Howell. You think that was the best way to develop a quarterback? No. Do you think that giving a guy who's not ready for 20 shots a night, 20 shots a night is a good way to develop an NBA basketball player? I would tell you the answer is not just no, but hell no. All they do is develop bad habits. So keeping Bilal in the box that he's been, maybe the box grows a little bit each night, but you do not need to blow up a team so that you can give a 19-year-old more shots. One, if you want to give him more shots, give him more shots. You can call more plays. Like You can direct the team to say, hey, this is our guy. Get him the ball. And Bilal, when you get it, you're looking to score. But two, I actually don't think that's the best thing for him long term. And I think the very accomplished player development professionals that are Michael Winger and Will Dawkins, and by the way, new coach Brian Keefe, whose player development resume is outstanding, they understand that. So they'll they'll bring him along at the speed that they want to, realizing he's the most important person in the organization, and it's not just like, oh, you got to make a bunch of trades. Like, it life is more complicated than that development is more complicated than that and more is not always better uh Anthony, anything to add uh, any other trades that caught your eye real quick in, in the 90 seconds or so before uh, we break and then bring graziano on at the top of the hour
8: uh i really like what the knicks have done uh they've added they they were aggressive at the uh the, the trade deadline um getting alec burks and also bogdan so yeah, I think they're going to be a team definitely to watch out in the East, especially, you know, with Joel going down. I don't think the Sixers are going to be up uh, at the top anymore. Um, so I think the the Knicks and maybe even the Mavs, I think those two teams are uh, definitely yeah, get, two teams to watch. Yeah, getting
0: P.J. Washington was a good move for them. They kind of needed that, that four who can shoot it, do a little bit more, help mm-hmm. their rebounding out. Yep. Um, the, the big question for them is, like, can they defend? Yeah. Um, because they defensively have been bad, and, I mean, this, it shows you the price of missing in free agency. They spent a decent chunk of change on Grant Williams, and he just did not work in Dallas. Uh, his shooting numbers have been awful as of late. Like He's shooting like a respectable percentage, but he was shooting like 50% at the start of the year, and he's been like low 30s, mid-20s since. So you know, that, that number averages out to be okay, but the trend is... Uh, Very, very bad. All right, when we get back here on the Hoffman Show, uh, I do believe it will be ESPN's Dan Graziano joining us on set with much more on how the commander's coaching search actually went down. Continuing on Radio Row here in Las Vegas, the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, and we are streaming on YouTube at the Team 980 where you see the well-dressed, I like that sweater, uh, Dan Graziano uh, with us from ESPN. Uh, Great to have you back on the show, and uh, as a guy who's made his living in the NFC East, uh, pretty good day to have you. Uh, I want to get into kind of some of the the Ben Johnson background stuff because you did a lot of reporting. Uh, throughout the commander's coaching search, and I actually have avoided that story mostly because there's a a lot of feelings, as you might imagine, in D.C. on that.
9: It's a little murky, too. Yeah, but if I had
0: told you a year ago, pretend we were on Radio Row a year ago, that Brian Johnson would take something below an O.C. job a year later with the commanders in the division... How surprised would you have been as we hear the news this morning that you and uh, your colleagues reported that Johnson is headed to Washington?
9: I, I would have said, "Well, what the heck happened in Philadelphia? <laughs> like this was this was a guy on the rise, right? Like yeah. he was getting he was talking about it for head coach jobs, uh, and and the extent to which the Eagle season fell apart, I think, is the story there. Uh, so hopefully, for his sake, that was a you know a two month you know glitch in his career, and he can build it back up." But uh, I know he's very well-regarded. I know a lot of teams have wanted to talk to him. So I think he's a pretty good get for Washington staff. Because you you say you go back a year. You go back five months, and this guy was still <laughs> you know, thought of as somebody who was on the right. So, may, you know, maybe... The coordinator job was not something he was ready for at the time, so maybe a step back. And, and some of the best coaches are the ones that sort of get knocked down, figure out what they need to still learn, and then and, and come back. And if he's that sort of guy, then uh, then certainly I, we, we won't have heard the last.
0: I, I definitely think he's an interesting fit, and it seems like uh, Washington has – for good reason prioritize guys who have histories developing quarterbacks cliff obviously the oc johnson there what do you know about the relationship between johnson and jalen hurts and and how instrumental he was in developing jalen
9: yeah obviously that was a that was a a group project that, that took a number of years but i mean that that coaching staff that came in there with nick sirianni was hired with the mission of developing jalen hurts into the best he could be and you know go back a year we're sitting at the Super Bowl this is a guy that was on top of the world uh, a quarter away from winning it uh, months away from becoming briefly but still the highest paid player in the league so uh, success story there and, and again we'll find out next year whether this was a one-off for Philadelphia whether they'll be back on top but if if you can ignore the way they finished this year and put Jalen Hurts' career into broader context, then yes, you have to give Brian Johnson credit for a success story there.
0: Dan Graziano, ESPN. Along, along with other people. Yeah, obviously. for sure. Yeah. Uh, Dan Graziano, ESPN. Is with us here on Radio Row. Make sure you're checking out all ESPN's coverage. They have a gigantic set over there. They're you guys are doing big. Oh, stuff. Oh, that's McAfee. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's
9: that's, that's, uh, that's just league. Pat. Yeah, yeah. Where's yeah, yeah. where's you guys? Like, is, they have is a there set up over at... They're doing like NFL Live and stuff yeah. over at the Paris uh, the Be- Beer Park, I think it's called, out in front of the Paris Hotel.
0: So Beer I'm, Park in Las Vegas sounds like a place. a lot I know. Of bad I'm heading over there, there this afternoon. I'm May.
9: curious to see uh, yeah. what that's all about.
0: Uh, so. You obviously were reporting on all these NFL coaching searches, and there was this narrative, whatever, storyline, thought, truth at the time, I'm assuming, that's why you report it, uh, that Ben Johnson was the favorite in Washington. And it feels like a lot of people were putting together the favorite uh, status of Johnson is the favorite candidate. Washington is a preferred destination. And and then the interviews happen, and, and all of a sudden we start to hear, you know, John Kime, Adam Schefter, and others saying, like, I don't know about that. What light can you shed on how it went from presumptive favorite to it seems like by the end, obviously Johnson's the one who pulled his name out, but that he was no longer the favorite. It might not have been getting the job even if he hadn't withdrawn his name. So, I mean,
9: the, the, the simple answer is there's a reason you do the interviews, right? Like, right? like you like Ben Johnson's work, and you think, well, this might, this might be – you know, the offensive coordinator – You know, the quarterback developer, the guy that's had success with Jared Goff, you want to talk to that guy and find out if he's the guy. But then maybe you also get, you know, Mike McDonald on a Zoom call and you're really impressed with him. And you're thinking about, well, Dan Quinn's a guy that's been a head coach and had some success doing that. And maybe we want to go that way. So it seems to me what happened is through the interview process, it, it became clear to Ben Johnson, who, by the way, one thing I've been told consistently about Ben Johnson through this process is he's the kind of guy who locks in so, like, like, people who are close to him, who, like, might have had jobs on a Ben Johnson staff, right? Right. Like, will say, like, he is, he's a guy that that might not be able to give his full energy to a head coach interview while his team is in the playoffs, right? Because he's so locked in on that. And, people obviously, that's a dilemma. That. Right. That's a dilemma all these guys face, yeah. and, and it's very difficult for some people to compartmentalize. And I'm not saying that Ben Johnson can't, but I think, you know, a couple people I talked to said, if... He didn't blow them away in the interview, which we don't know. But if if that's the case, then that's probably a reflection on he spent so much more of his time preparing for the 49ers, right? <laughs> right. right. Then preparing for his interview with the Commanders, uh, and maybe that that had some effect. So again, there's a lot out there, w- w- you know, how much of it is true, how much of it is solid. You know, the, the, there's a lot of spin out there in terms of, but it sounds to me like what we know and what we can confidently say is throughout the process it became clear that Ben Johnson was not the favorite or necessarily the top choice and and then rather than mess around and wait around, he said, you know what, I'll just try this again next year.
0: Alright, so I want to give uh, our listeners, the fans, a little insight into how this works as best as we can. Obviously you're not going to sit here and be like, alright, so this person person yeah. A, name X, position Y uh, told me this, because that's not how sourcing works, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, be good. would not be good, but <laughs> you get told as a reporter, and I've, I've been there I've been a reporter mm-hmm. before, I now blab opinions every day um, you know you get told lots of information you don't just regurgitate it you have to vet it um so how do you like what's kind of your process of trying to figure out hey this this piece of information i got is something that's worth putting out there that you know whether it's the spin whether it's the Mm -hmm. the information side of it going into the search versus like that's an agent or a front office person or a coach trying to trying to do themselves a favor
9: I think one of the most important things you have to ask yourself in situations like that, as a reporter, is why is this person telling me this information? <laughs> and I'm not kidding; like no, I don't think sure. enough people in our business ask that question. I agree, right? Because you're so eager to get something out there and be first with it and to seem like you know something. But yes, and and, and the sources know that and, <laughs> and use it to their advantage, right? So, why is this person? If I if the agent is telling me a thing about his client, oh well, he's gonna he's gonna get you know. Um, He's going to get interviews. He's on their list. Well, I don't want to report that unless I find out from the team that he's, oh, yeah, he's a guy we like. Yeah, you can, if you put that out there, you're not going to look bad, right? So, uh, yeah, it, it's tricky. I mean, you, you have, ideally what you want is multiple sources on multiple sides of it so you know you're right and that's, Something, something of a lost art. Do, or we could do a, like we could do a whole show on like what's happened to the industry and reporting and all that kind sure, of stuff. Sure, we can go but march
0: over my alma mater, house kids. There you there, go. Go teach them. Everybody, Syracuse. I
9: went to Georgetown. If I had known what I was going to do for a living, I probably would have not gone to Georgetown. But it's worked no. out for
0: you. I it has right. no
9: quite I don't have any regrets. I just like I'm surrounded by Syracuse people, and that always that kind of makes me.
0: Well, I'm know. a Syracuse alum who works in D.C., and we have Georgetown games <laughs> on the station. So well, I think we're just exchanging you're, pain.
9: Right. Man. You're 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 on the opposite end of that. That's true. I like yeah. I work at ESPN. Like there's Syracuse decorations yes. in everybody's office, uh, but yeah, it's that's the way it is. It used to be a rivalry. Uh, <laughs> our program is not in that spot anymore. We have high hopes for the new coach, but uh, obviously some growing pains.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, not Syracuse exactly get on, thriving. Right? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think we were talking about reporting, and there's the new house kids. Right, over there. right,
9: right. Yeah, we were all self-taught at Georgetown. Like I, <laughs> I learned that after I graduated. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I, so the coaching stuff is interesting cuz it's it's there's a lot of consistency to it year to year, you know, you know who represents who. If you see something out there, you can kind of say to yourself, "Oh, I know where that's coming from." Or right. I heard that say, I heard those exact words said to me 2 hours ago and I didn't report them, but this other person is <laughs> like, "Whoa, I wouldn't have gone with that." So, yeah, it, it's it's a, it's the Wild West.
0: Yeah, it definitely can be. Dan Graziano <laughs> From ESPN, uh, let's just say, uh, Kyle and I have been lamenting that via text yeah, message. Uh, I, I can often,
9: I often over the last couple of weeks. I can imagine those texts.
0: Um, yeah, let's talk about the game real quick. Yeah, how, how many people actually ask you about the game versus yeah. everything else going on here? No, um,
9: I think so far it's been like this. Oh, let's get to the game. I think. Um, you know the, the the Kansas City station wanted to talk about the game. <laughs> yep, that <laughs> there, makes sense, there, right? I it got a San sense. Francisco one coming up. I'm sure there'll be a lot about the game there. So yeah, so yeah. Let's, get, I, let's yeah.
0: give you a little uh, palate cleanser then to get you. Uh, All right, Muz Bush of, of <laughs> Super Bowl 58 uh, before you head over to to the San Francisco folks. Um, it feels like the momentum of the week is swinging where. The Chiefs, all of a sudden, people are like, "Oh no! Like we're done betting against Mahomes. We tried that a couple times in this playoffs, yeah. and we feel like big dumb idiots." I certainly feel that way. Yes. I feel myself being pulled towards Kansas City. Yes, Do you, you're saying yes. So you agree yes. with that? Why is it just because Mahomes? Or yes. like if you're if you go on that San Francisco <laughs> station, or you going, "Hey guys, I think you're going to be okay." I, I mean, they have a chance to win. Obviously, they're a great
9: team, but the Chiefs know how to win this game. They, yeah. w- they won it last year, right? Uh, the defense, I think the Chiefs defense is one of the stories of the week. They, they are great. And and they are the better defense in this matchup, which you would never have imagined in a San Francisco-Kansas City matchup at any point over the past half decade, but that is where we are. And Steve Spagnolo has shown an ability to design successful playoff game plans with lesser personnel than what he has now. So what they did to Baltimore, and again, I, I'm like I did pick
0: the, the Chiefs to beat the Bills. I didn't and the second uh, that came out of my mouth I was like you're an idiot what are you doing I did pick the Chiefs to win that game I
9: did I picked the Ravens the following week and I'm sitting there watching and going what was I thinking come on I miss Patrick Mahomes right. and Andy Reid and all you know so yeah I think you're right I think that's the overarching sentiment as the week goes on like well the Chiefs will just find a way like last year they were getting beat and they want they, they, they when they played the 49ers 4 years ago they're down 10 points in the fourth quarter they just they know how to. I covered the the Joe Torre New York Yankees years mm-hmm. ago, and that's what they were like toward the end of that. Like they would, they'd match up in the playoffs with like an Oakland A's team that was better than they were, and they just beat them. Like the Seattle Mariners won 116 games, and the Yankees beat them in five games in the ALCS. Like it just, they knew how to win those games, and the Chiefs are that team now.
0: They are. Uh, speaking of Spags, do you think he ever gets another head coaching look? Do you think he wants it?
9: I, I do think he'd be interested in talking to some people. Like Spags is not a guy that's ever going to come out and say to you, you know, complain about that. He loves his life. He's, he's a great guy, and, and he's obviously in a great... I mean, he's in the Super Bowl every year. <laughs> like to something be said for that. Now, obviously, head coaching, very different, and I'm sure he'd like another shot at it because uh, he, he, I'm sure he feels like he can do it, and, and, and uh, it's been a while. But like, I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago when the interviews were coming out, and it's like, why isn't anybody calling him Somebody said to me, what's the difference between him and Dan Quinn, right, resume-wise, right? Um, Spag's 11 years older than Dan. He's 64 years old. Mm. So I think in a league that's always looking for young offensive coaches, he's an old defensive coach, and I think that works against him. I'm surprised he can't get an interview. Nobody would want to talk to him about what he's doing, especially in a cycle like this where defensive guys did seem to elevate beyond – uh, where we've seen in recent years but i i think that maybe there's a perception that who he is now is who he is and that's where he belongs and and, and maybe that's it but i i do think he'd like another another crack at it problem is now it's like 64 65 years old right you know Vic you Fangio, five-year deal and didn't work yeah, out in denver 69. yeah so yeah it's um yeah so my my guess is that ship has sailed you never say never but um but i, I do i do think he would like another shot
0: uh, Dan Graziano, read his work, ESPN.com. Catch him. Uh, it, was, it was
9: beer park. Be, well, I, I gotta go. I'm not doing TV, but I, yeah, okay. I'm gonna go. You know, check out that scene. Okay, beer park. Well,
0: maybe you'll see him walking in the background. You might. Of NFL might Live. Maybe
9: I'll photo bomb like NFL Live. Yeah, our, yeah. our
0: ESPN PR the producers. Are not, like, yes, that. tell them about NFL Live. I think Lily. I think they know about NFL Live. People, yeah. people. It's a very popular show. Is you it? send me emails that's about good. it. Uh, that's Dan Graziano. Everybody, thank you. Thank you. This is the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and the Odyssey app. All right, welcome back, Radio Row. Michael Phillips is here. Uh, I never say welcome back to the show. It's something that was actually ingrained in me in broadcast school. It's like the audience didn't go anywhere. So saying welcome back is very stupid because. They've been, they've been hanging out. We've been hanging out. But now all of a sudden I'm on Radio Row and I'm forgetting everything I've ever learned. Uh, it's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. But we are on Radio Row in Las Vegas. Michael Phillips is here because he is doing his show at what feels like an ungodly hour of the morning.
6: I, I wake this place up. They, the, breakfast no, place, you don't. The, the breakfast place doesn't open before my show starts. So I, I end the show, and I go down to that room, and I, I just crush whatever uh, uh, granola bars are sitting out there. Um, so I, the reason I
0: violently just said, no, you don't, is because my good friend Damon DA, is done before you start. He Did- got out here and decided, yeah, we're going to do it. He is a 6 to 9 a.m. on SiriusXM, say, a.k.a., like, Eastern. Yeah. So he did a 3, three to, to 6, 6
6: a.m. this morning. Is the move to power through sleep after or go to sleep? If you go to sleep early, why were you in Vegas? What, what were you doing here in Vegas? You, I think the move is to go to sleep at 6 a.m., wake, wake up at 4 p.m., because that, that's when you're going to maximize your Vegas if, time. If, if Depending on
0: what your Vegas activities are. Yeah. That's definitely play, but I think the problem also is instead of being knocked. Noctur- I mean, Da has a young child, so his sleep schedule might already be fubard anyway. Yeah, um, Ooh, but that, that's not good. Yeah, you you've been through that. Uh, but the, I I don't know, man, because I think the the other part of like Radio Row is obviously you're taping stuff. Like there's there's all these people that are around, and they're not
6: around when he's on. How, how many Radio Rows have you done now?
0: Uh, is this is this this is three for me, Super Bowl-wise, being around Radio Row. Um, this one's this, the, the this best. This is the first time, though, that we have had, like, that I've had this
6: show, where I've had, like, my own deal. This one's the best. Um, it's so central. Like, Wednesday, there was still, like, big star power. Like, normally Wednesday's kind of sleepy, and Friday's kind of sleepy, and Thursday's the sweet spot. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, today was your best show, obviously. But, um... <laughs> yeah, because you bailed on us yesterday. <laughs> Um, and to go see you too, or something. I we did go to the Sphere, and it was fantastic. I, I this is my first time doing it as a radio guy. Yeah. When you're a print guy, you just you run people down, you interview them, and that's it. Like I'm on the air, but also trying to run people down it gives me an appreciation of what you guys do. I just figured you're just a pretty face talking into a microphone, but it turns out there's more to it than that. No, I have to set up the camera too. <laughs> uh,
0: no, it it is kind of wild too because there's there's people running all over the place. There's PR people texting you and emailing you. I mean. You also have, uh, it's funny, uh, you have people that text or don't text you back. I won't say which one Trey Wingo, who's walking behind us, uh, was this week. uh, But notice how he hasn't been on the show yet. Want to throw something at him. Uh, Trey's a good friend. He would be fine. Uh, Anyway, the point is uh, that you're like, and then also you have like the random ones, right? Like we got really lucky yesterday that Justin Pugh just plopped down. And Justin Pugh's a great guy, and Justin Q was also Pugh was also my classmate at Syracuse. So like we have a fun little five minute bit with Justin Pugh, completely unplanned, and like that's the kind of thing that happens here.
6: That's why that's why you come here to Radio Row. That's that's the good stuff. Uh, Scott Goldman. He's he was the Warriors team psychologist. Um, where's yeah. he? Okay, he, he was here. He was one of my he first seven a.m. guests. Um, he was here when you're here early. You don't have a lot of guests, but the few that are here want to be on with you because nobody else is on. Um, He's with, you you know, S2, the the cognition test, a competitor, AIQ, I believe. He started a competitor like AIQ, I think is the name of it. I don't want to misquote that. His guy's running around, you know, and he says, hey, do you want to talk to to this guy? He founded AIQ, this thing. He was the team psychologist for the Golden State Warriors. I said, did he know Bob Myers? He goes, oh yeah, definitely. And so he sits down, and starts telling Bob Myers stories. And he goes, yeah, I said, you know, we're the home of the Commanders. He goes, oh, I just texted with Dan Quinn yesterday, and he was off and running. Like, what Where a, is this guy? I got to get him on my show. What is? We, we got a segment. Tomorrow. What a segment. That's incredible. Yeah. Um,
0: also, I, my wife is here with us. Uh, yeah. At, slash, with me, and but she's like literally here with us at the table right now, and she's doing a lot of like this neuroscience psychology study. Oh by yeah. which is awesome. So the second you said team psychologist, the worse, yeah. She literally like. Popped up over my computer screen, uh, and and I could see it. Which, by the way, also another theme of the week is if I can break down a fourth wall on this show, we're going to do it. Uh, what's
6: your best meal so far in Vegas?
0: Oh, we went to a Malfi the other night, um, which is, is Bobby that Wolfgang Flay. Puck? No, no Bobby, uh, Flay. Bobby Flay, who apparently also walked by me at some point. Uh, Rachel, we went to commercial break. She's like, Bobby Flay just walked by. Oh, I was like, oh, cool. I wish I could have thanked him for uh, dinner the other night. Thanks for the that meal, was, Bobby. That was incredible. Uh, Got <laughs> some steak, some fish pasta was excellent. Like cuz sometimes Vegas is just overpriced Yeah, and it's not actually good. Yeah. That meal was like it was expensive, and but so, it was excellent. And sometimes
6: it's overpriced and good. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I don't even know if it was you, I mean, I guess it was probably thought, a little overpriced. But you got value. That's, that's right. a rare find here, getting value. Yeah, so yeah. I, would, I
0: Amalfi, uh, Bobby Flay's place. Uh, and then the other fun food thing is we had David Chang to start the show today, which feels like it was seven weeks ago. He, but David Chang was in that chair uh, to start the show today.
6: David Chang, who I love Momo Fuko obviously, he yeah. is hustling. He was here early doing, doing his Toyota bit. He is still here. Um, Yeah, he's doing the David Chang show right over there right now. I want to say he's done nine hours nonstop down here on Radio Row. That's how, like, a lot of the celebrities have a two-hour window, right? They're going to do four an hour for two hours. They're going to do eight shows. You just hope you you make the cut. Right. He's on hour nine of, of hustling. That, right, because he's, really he's doing the double.
0: Right, he's he's, he's doing is his own show, and he's a guest. Correct, yeah. he's a host
6: and a guest. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I'm
0: like, are they setting up something to cook over there? Because that is that is the, that is the
6: only thing Dave Chang and I have in common is we are both hosts and guests uh, now on radio. Red yeah, I, I'm doing some of that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh,
0: my guys over at SiriusXM I think are going to have me pop. I mean, I did pop on Awad's show. Um, Absolutely, did, we'll I'm not it. here
6: enough for here early enough to be on your show. But nope. if you
0: ask nicely, I probably would.
6: Um, Grant Paulson was able to do the last three minutes of the show two days ago. Mm. That, that's been so far the only Odyssey family guest we've been able to wrangle for this, um, which was perfect because he had to tell the Blackjack story from the night before because I had told it to the audience in the previous segment. I said, hang on, I want Grant to tell it too. So they got to hear it Did, twice. Was it two different, different stories? Two different. It's it's the same story, but, you know, two what? two different people can tell it theatrically. I I, pl- I played with the worst Blackjack player of all time. I think I, I, think I overheard some of yeah. that. Awad.
0: Like, I, heard, I heard AWOD involved in that, and so, I so, think I heard, overheard some of it on their show.
6: AWOD was the second worst blackjack player of all time. Right. Uh, he did not know what to do, and and we're yelling at him, like, you know, use analytics. Um, and he yeah. keeps making different decisions with the same numbers, so he's using Ron Rivera analytics. But, right. Uh, but we, yeah. had a good, we had a good there's, time. There's that.
0: Uh, so what do you got on your show tomorrow? What you got planned?
6: Um, what do we have on our show tomorrow? Uh, Doug Williams uh, on the program tomorrow. Nice. Uh, he won he won a Super Bowl. I want to ask him about uh, Eric Bieniemy. Because, um, look, Eric Biannimi is still a name that, that moves copy, right, or, 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 you know, gets clicks or whatever it is. People are intensely curious about what happened with Eric Biannimi, what's going to happen with Eric Biannimi, when will his opportunity come. Well, we, in a lot of ways, you know, when you hire somebody, you either hire the same thing because things are going well or the exact opposite because they're not. And, and that can be telling. Cliff Kingsbury is in a lot of personality-based ways the opposite of Eric Bieniemy, And mm-hmm. that's an interesting commentary on a season that I don't think went terribly from his perspective. From a team perspective, it went terribly. But I, you know... Yeah. I, mean, he, you don't,
0: I think it went pretty terribly from Bieniemy's perspective. But. Well,
6: like, for, for his future. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know that when you break down the tape, you'd be like, that was all his fault.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but also, like, you can run
6: plays that are designed to...
0: Every play is designed to work. Uh, but, like, are you actually putting the, the players in... Like, are the players that you're asking to execute the plays the right players, yeah. or should you be calling different plays? Because at that point, it's like, you know, if you ask, if you ask me to run the backdoor cut on the lob play to throw an alley-oop to, like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, I might be open, but I'm not going to be able to dunk it, and that has everything to do with my ability to not dunk a basketball. You know,
6: uh, DeAndre Carter on the program tomorrow was nice. uh, was a you know a returner for one year. He kind of relaunched his career in Washington uh, now with the now at the Raiders. Uh, so he plays here in Vegas uh, every, nice. every day. Yeah. That'll be fun. Uh, so, Michael on... Also a diabetic. Um, uh-huh. Tests his blood sugar between quarters.
0: Wow. That's intense. Yeah. There's, uh- you get so many, like, cool humans. We had Jonathan Ogden on earlier talking about, like, the obesity fight and what he's doing with the NFL Alumni Association. So... Really cool opportunities out here in Vegas, and uh, actually, our next guest uh, I'm very excited about uh, NBC's Randy Moss, not the receiver, which I'm the, not going to make that like
6: the, the that white happens the to white him. the white Randy Moss yes
0: the white Randy Moss which like he deals with that all the time so I'm just gonna like I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, play it straight I, um, but the reason I think it's fascinating is like he's a horse racing guy and a football guy yeah. And so he's been in a sport that is, like, pumped up by gambling forever. Yes. And now to see the NFL do it, like, I'm excited to talk to him about that. He's an exceptionally good
6: sport about the other thing, just so you know.
0: Oh, I, I he must be. And like you have to say it for, and I feel like bad because a radio audience, like I can't just reset me. Like Randy Moss is on the show. Can't
6: do it. Can't say Randy um, Moss after this break without the clarifier.
0: Right. Uh, so I'll, be, I'll probably just do NBC's Randy Moss. So people that are listening and are going to continue to listening, thank you. And uh, that's that's your uh, that's your hint. Wink, wink. Uh, Michael Phillips on tomorrow morning, ten a.m. to noon on uh, nine ten The Fan in Richmond, which you can listen to on the free Odyssey app. Craig's not going to welcome you back because you're not going anywhere. <laughs> but. But uh, Randy Moss is next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team Nine Eighty, always live as well on the Free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team Nine Eighty. If you're watching there, you see NBC Sports Randy Moss with us here on the Hoffman Show. Randy, good to see you. Hey, good to see you. Are you Sure, you got the right Randy Moss. I do. I say ahead, I, I said I was not gonna I was not gonna do the bit because I'm sure that's just <laughs> all you get. I don't care. I, I, mean, I feel like if, for any sanity, you you have to slash. If you're still doing this, clearly you don't, because at oh. some point you just quit and be like, "I'm not doing this anymore." You know,
10: if look, you take yourself too seriously if you let that bother you that much, right? Yeah. And I've been doing this. You know, I've been in the media for a long time, and I've dealt with the whole Randy Moss thing. I did 13 years with NFL Network. Oh, I know. You know, and the players would call me. The white Randy Moss, they, they got kind of got a kick out of it. I'd be the OG Randy Moss. I like and, that. And then I was just OG. They would see me, and they wouldn't be, you know.
0: I don't think amongst NFL players there's a lot of bigger compliments than just being known as OG. <laughs> like, that is that is where it's at.
10: And I didn't know when I started in NFL Network whether the whole thing would be a disadvantage or not. And as it turned out, they actually remembered me easier because of my name than they would have ordinarily. So it, it actually great. wound up, in a way – you know, maybe even
0: helping a little bit. Well, shout, shout out to the other Randy Moss there for you helping this Randy Moss. Yeah, he's uh, a, he's a good guy, by the way. Yeah. If so, if you're not familiar with uh, with Randy's work with NBC, I've been a part of their horse racing coverage forever. Did work for NFL Network yep. for a long time. And so the the reason I, I when uh, you were offered up as a guest, I was like, yes, this is going to be a really cool conversation. Is horse racing forever has been pro- I won't say propped up, but like a huge part of that sport and the culture of it is gambling. Oh, yeah. And now the NFL, uh, it's always happened underground or here in Las Vegas. But, like, now that it is so mainstream, it has changed the way we consume the sport in in many ways. And I think your perspective on that would be pretty fascinating as a guy who's lived in both worlds. So, like, as you see some of the ways that the gambling world has influenced the NFL now since kind of the the Band-Aid's been ripped off these last couple years, like, what are the things that are interesting to you about it?
10: First of all, it was bound to happen. Everybody knew that it was going to happen. You know, as much as the NFL tried to put it off and tried to say that they weren't interested and it was, you know, potential cancer and all this stuff, there's so much money out there that uh, it, was, it was inevitable, right? I, I think five, six years ago, I tried to pitch NFL Network on a gambling show. I mean, you're right. I I'm in. I got my feet in both worlds, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I offered to host it and everything, or help them with it or whatever. But they just weren't—they weren't ready, right—at that point, you know. And I still don't think NFL Network would go down that road at this, even with the you know the synergy you see with you know you know fan, all, all all the gambling sites. Uh, but ESPN is is embraced
0: it in a way, right? You know, I think it's fascinating that ESPN is launching ESPN Bet. Like you now have, yeah. I mean, the lines are so blurred in so many ways now between leagues and entities and teams and i mean we deal with this locally in dc because ted leontis owns not just the 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 basketball and hockey team but the network that they're on and they're the only regional sports net in town and so you're kind of like it is what it is and so like those lines the journalism lines have been long crossed long dashed and now you've got a media company in espn that's like oh yeah we're also going to be the book i think that's wild and I think my journalism professors probably wouldn't approve of it.
10: <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that uh, wealthy businessmen that wanted to own an NFL franchise and even an NBA franchise or a Major League Baseball franchise, and they also either like owned a racetrack or had a stable of racehorses, it, it was frowned upon. Mm-hmm. It, if you divest yourself from all these other things, then come back, you know. And now you're looking at, I mean, major gambling
0: entities that are involved. Do you think that, like? How real are the, the worries of problems and of, of things that could go awry versus kind of fears that have been built up culturally over the years?
10: I think they're overblown. Um, they' obviously you know there is a scenario where something like that could happen. but the NFL, for example, has so many resources. You know? I mean've they've, they've, they've got the resources to be very vigilant about things like that. Uh, and so I think the, the worry about that is uh, maybe a little too extreme.
0: Uh, Randy Moss NBC Sports with us here on the Hoffman show uh, the MB- the NFL's rules are so stringent and we've seen some guys get caught up that they didn't realize they're violating the rules because of either where they placed a bet or they're, they're betting on their old college team and like do, do you think the NFL will change like does rules. it need? To, it, it feels like their argument is like oh it's a slippery slope I, I feel like hey yeah there's it may be a slippery slope but there's like a 1000 feet between us and the edge of the slope where, where are you on? I'm uh, kind of where they are. I think it's
10: kind of ridiculous some some of the some of that stuff. I, I think it's ridiculous that Pete Rose is still out of the Hall of Fame. This is a guy who who bet on
0: baseball. Mm-hmm.
10: He bet on his own team. Right. That's all he he didn't bet. He never bet on the opposing oh, yeah. team. He bet on his own
0: team. There's plenty of other reasons to keep Pete Rose out of the Hall oh, yeah, of Fame. Yeah. That, that I agree with
10: you on. They should make every player bet on their own team. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, in yeah, a way, they are. You know? Yeah,
10: exactly. You, you
0: win, you get you get a better contract.
10: <laughs> exactly. Uh, you just can't.
0: Give, you get an extra. So yeah, I mean, I think I think some of that is a little ridiculous. Uh, game this weekend. What's the most interesting storyline for you?
10: To me, the most interesting storyline is Brock Purdy, and which Brock Purdy are we going to see? Right? Is uh, you know is the is the Super Bowl stage going to be, the bright light's going to be a little bit too big for him? He seems like a pretty cool, calm, and collected customer. But he hasn't played as well in the two playoff games this year as he did during the regular season. Uh, why? There's really no reason why. Um, maybe it's the pressure. Maybe he won't play as well. That To me, that's really the most Here's a guy that was, you know, considered to be a primo MVP candidate for much of the season.
0: Yeah, no, he was. If you were still an NFL Network, you're, you're, you're having to do, instead of getting to do this fun nonsense, you, you're, you're stuck on team duty. Which of the teams would you want to be around this week, and who's the guy that you'd want to talk to? Uh,
10: I would rather be around the Chiefs only because I did a lot of Kansas City Chiefs stuff when I was with NFL Network. I did very little San Francisco 49ers, so I don't really have any kind of a relationship with Kyle Shanahan or very many of the players. I covered Kyle Juszczyk in college when he was with Harvard. Okay. Uh, but the Chiefs have a just an outstanding organization from top to bottom. The PR people are top shelf. Andy Reid is an unbelievably good guy. Uh, so I would probably rather, for that
0: reason, I'd rather be yeah. with the Chiefs. What's the thing about Andy Reid that you, you wish more people knew?
10: Just down to earth. Totally, completely down to earth. After they won, not the last Super Bowl, but the one before.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I was, Which is a nice sentence you get to say about I know, franchise. isn't it really? Not, no, Not that Super Bowl, it's the other one. I was in Kansas City uh,
10: covering the, uh, the the aftermath, mm-hmm. right? I was going to be there for the parade, but I was also there when the plane came back into Kansas City, okay, right. and covering that whole hoopla. And that night, the night after the Super Bowl win, I go to my favorite barbecue restaurant in Kansas City, and who walks in but Andy <laughs> Reid and his wife. Yeah. And the whole place just erupted, and everybody stood up and gave him a standing ovation. And I'll bet you for a good 20 minutes – he was taking pictures with people.
0: That but then he, he wanted his cheeseburger. That, that he didn't know. Yeah.
10: You know? And, and it, it just one after another, after another, after another. Just as kind and as
0: nice and as accommodating as he could be. And that's the Andy Reid that I've seen. That's cool. Uh, so, last thing for you, because you mentioned kind of the organizational structure. Let's lo- Well, I'm going to localize it, because that's what my job is as a local guy here. Yeah. Um, Obviously, the Commanders completely remade their organization. Uh, You talk about the impact of ownership, and like you got top-notch PR people, you got top-notch this, top-notch that. Is someone who's covered the league and seen the good and the bad. Like, what are the separators for you of good organizations—the ones that work, the ones that can win consistently—beyond the obvious of like, oh yeah, the the Chiefs also have Patrick Mahomes, and that helps a lot.
10: Yeah, mostly I think, and this is (laughs) this is probably not a uh, a plus for the Commanders at this point. Good people and continuity. Mm. That's, I think that's the hallmark of a really good, consistent winning organization. You look at the Ravens for years, Ozzie Newsome. Right? John Harbaugh is a fantastic coach. He's been there a long time. And you look at the Steelers, right? fantastic front office, consistency. Mike Tomlin's been there for a long time. That, I think, and the, uh, the 49ers uh, front office, you know, very stable, very consistent, a lot of longevity there. Um, I think you know, that's what the, the commanders, I know, are trying to build – uh, it takes time. Yeah. And you get Daniel Snyder out of the equation now. Um, Helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. Did you know Adam at all, anything that
0: you did with San Francisco? Or you said you weren't around San Francisco No, that
10: much. I did very little, uh, very little with San Francisco. Yeah, it's I'm good. good.
0: I, think, I think that that's going to be the interesting thing because, like, in, in some ways it's a chicken and egg thing, right? Like, if you're good, you get the continuity because nobody gets fired. Um, but it's got to start somewhere, and can they can they find the right types of people that'll be invested in in the project? And I think that's been one of the interesting things that I hear Josh Harris talk about is like he kind of talks about it as this project, as this, this thing that they're building, and, and not as like oh we're out to win the Super Bowl next year. And I, I feel like that hopefully yeah. can
10: lead to what you're talking about. You gotta get another quarterback. Yeah. You know? Okay. They, the, okay. They they got the coach taking care of. You got the OC taking care of Kingsbury. Uh, they get they got to find another quarterback, and I think they might be uh, they may be okay. The, you know the great thing about my job, I, I get to do all this. We can talk football, get to yeah. the Super Bowl, and then as soon as this is over, I get to transition to horse racing back again. Right. right so you got And do all the Triple Crown prep races, and then and then then the Derby, and then be in your neck of the woods for the Preakness. Yep. Uh, which is always one of my favorite uh, that could favorite be a, stops of the year.
0: That could be a whole other show where we just have you tell Preakness stories. I have not been, but I've heard that what? is the oh, wildest. Go. Like the 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 like the, the dearth of humanity is the infield at the Preakness. It's a
10: little tamer than it was when I first started going, this will be my 44th Derby. It'll be like my 40th Preakness, so I go back a long way. It was a lot more uh, wide open, raucous way back in the day than it is now. They've tried to make it a little bit more genteel, yeah, and yet not take away the fun, right? Yeah uh but it's uh it's, it's something, <laughs> seen uh, some stuff it's something pretty you ever different. been
0: like reporting live and just had to catch yourself because you see something happening off in the distance Normally our back is to all that. That's probably smart. That's so no. that's good producing, whoever's your producer.
10: At the Kentucky Derby one year, if I can tell a little bit of an off-color story. As long as you don't uh, cuss and the FCC doesn't cancel us, yeah, I don't yeah. care. A buddy of mine uh, said, hey, bring some jeans to the track and let's go to the infield. I've always wanted to go to the Derby infield. And it's at the time, it was just about as bad as the Preakness. Okay. So it's all right, so halfway through the day, it's a slow day leading up to the Derby. So, you know, change clothes, jeans, we went down to the infield, we meandered, Under the tunnel, and the first thing we see coming into the infield at the Kentucky Derby is this massive humanity, probably 30, 40 people in a circle, right? And they got their hands over their head, and they're all yelling and screaming, and so we walk over there and say, what's going on? And we get there at about the same time the riot police get there. Oh, boy. And so the crowd parts, and it's a couple having sex. Of course. On the sidewalk. Of course. Nope. Clothes thrown everywhere. And so they get blankets like dogs or something, you know, and, and they just <laughs> throw blankets over them. <laughs> and, and they haul them off to the to the retaining area, you know. That was my very first experience uh, at the Kentucky Derby infield.
0: Like, I think I'm going to go back and put the put other clothes on. And I'm going to go be on television now. <laughs> uh, Randy Moss, a part of NBC Sports, uh, they do have the Triple Crown races coming up yeah. uh, here in just a few weeks. Uh, Randy, appreciate your time. Thank you. Hey. Anytime. All right, we'll wrap up the show next from Radio Row here on the Team 980. Welcome back to
8: the Hoffman Show. Yes, you might be a little uh, confused as to why you're hearing super producer Anthony Haney's voice. Uh, Craig got caught up right now uh, live in Radio Row. So, uh... I'm taking over the show until he comes. Oh, there he is.
0: Hey, oh. Craig, welcome back. Sorry, uh, Bomani Jones walked by, and uh, I, had, I wanted to go say what's up to Bo because we've had him on the show so many times and uh, haven't, been, or to get, haven't actually had a chance to meet him in person. So I said what's up to Bomani. We got chatting real quick, and I was like, I got to go. I think, I, think I, I think my show's back. So, sorry, but great job, Anthony. I don't know how long the music was playing before you started talking, but uh, you sounded very <laughs> you sounded confident. In some ways, that was a test. That was a test. Thank to you. see, uh, <laughs> to see how it is uh, that you would do if all of a sudden you had to take command of the show, but you did, you did it. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, no pressure. No, nope, you know? no pressure. You nope. did, you did the thing. Uh, Bomani, by the way, probably going to be on with us tomorrow. Now he said uh, he's around, so we'll see. Uh, see what we can do on that. Also, I got to let me let me pull up the old, uh, old, old spreadsheet here. Uh, tomorrow on the show oh god we have a lot of people that are floating tomorrow uh what we definitely have is uh caitlin from sports illustrated or sorry from the athletic is on She used to be with si uh she just did a big piece anthony i don't know if you saw this um but like she calls it like the shanahan surveillance state basically like it's something that mike shanahan used to do that kyle does and it, like he has a live video feed into all of the meeting rooms at the 49ers facility so he can watch any position group meeting at any time, uh, which I think is actually, like, is weird uh, in a way, but is also very cool and kind of smart. Um, so she wrote about that, uh, and and she's a great NFL writer, so we'll have her on tomorrow early on in the show. And then I think the only other person that we have – actually, we don't have anybody else slotted in for sure, but, like, tomorrow's going to be fun. Uh, probably have DA, uh, Damon Menalara on the show. Yates might be in town. I eventually he'll decide if he's actually coming. He's in the L.A., so getting to Vegas is easy for him. Uh, Bomani now going to be on the show tomorrow. I'll text him here in, in a second. We'll get that set up. Um, we might also have uh, a couple of active NFL players. Um, but, I mean, uh, Don Van Nata might stop by. I know I'm seeing him tomorrow. I don't know if uh, he's going to be on the show, but we'll see. Um, but, like, Anthony, think about where we were 24 hours ago. Like, we didn't have Jonathan Ogden lined up. <laughs> we didn't have – you know, some, uh, da- or, uh, some, of, some of the f- David Chang all of a sudden, Mike Loxley. Like, yeah. our guest list today, half of it happened in the 90 minutes before the show. Uh, and I'm showing up way earlier to Radio Row tomorrow, in part because one of our guests tomorrow uh, I do believe will be MJ Acosta Ruiz from NFL Network, and we got a tape with her early before the show. So, very excited uh, to get MJ on and, and Kalen and, and you know, everyone else that will, Balmani like, that's how Radio Row is, man. It's nuts. Um, and we'll do it again in th- you know what three weeks in Indianapolis. I'll be doing the same thing. So um, it's not quite as much of a zoo in Indy. It's much more of you know, draft nerds as opposed to random celebrities walking around. But that's that's the business, as they say.
8: Definitely sounds like you're having a blast out there. You got Rachel out there, so she's experiencing it also with you. Yeah, uh, which is very cool. Exactly. So I see I see Will Blackman walking around. See everybody, uh, I, I heard you say you saw uh, Puka Nakua earlier.
0: Yeah, Puka. Walking Puka's walking around. Um, who else do I see? Right. Now? I mean, it's weird because you know so many of the shows have ended at this point. Like, I, I kind of feel like at six o'clock Eastern Time things cleared out. Um, so there are definitely like a lot of people still walking around. I mean, it's only three o'clock out here. Um, about to be four, or three fifty out here. About to be four. But um, yeah, that's kind of kind of how things go uh here on radio row uh one more show tomorrow uh by the way uh we also recorded take command today uh which is out now logan uh and i recap the senior bowl I also talked a little bit more about the coordinator so definitely worth checking out if you want some more hardcore football talk i know it's, it's kind of a wacky thing anthony because like i'm out here and you know we could do las vegas skits and bits all day but i know like people people listening like still want their football they still want their draft talk they still want everything so trying to do the best we can of giving everybody a little bit of everything some nba trade deadline stuff we you know we kept part of the show open today because we thought that that would be a a topic uh in a bigger way with kuzma being one of the top guys available and um you know tyus jones we thought would definitely be moved and said it's just daniel gafford getting traded out you know the wizards they had a they had big uh, big man depth for for two weeks anthony they had yeah. it. They had they had gaff and Marvin Bagley. And, and now now, <laughs> now they traded Gaff. Yeah. I mean
8: Rashawn Holmes,
0: he he's all right, but Yeah. We I mean, we look, still need they, some depth. To... Just need just need guys to play some minutes. Yeah. Just need, need some, some guys. But also like I'd imagine we see some more Patrick Baldwin Jr., we see some more of the the, the guys in house and We need um, Johnny David's up, man. That like I, I think he just got moved up, but we'll love yeah. to just see more of him. Yeah, they gotta they gotta figure out some stuff and you know, then <laughs> We need to talk about the Jordan Poole thing at some point uh, Man, here over the next oh couple weeks because he is like I, I'm on the verge of just being like shut that dude down for the season. All right, uh, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, all those all those great guests coming tomorrow on Radio Row. Uh, right now, though, we didn't even have a chance to do this yesterday. We can't we can't skip two days in a row of real things. Come on, it's time for real things, real people said into real microphones.
1: Real things. We're not going to f- this year.
0: Real people.
9: Five and eleven.
10: Not very good. Set into real microphones. You know, the culture is actually damn good.
0: All right, uh, boss, by the way, also a reminder, our big game coverage on the Team 980 is presented by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit, solostove.com. Up. Uh, NFL opening night always get like, I'm kind of sad that I was traveling on Tuesday because NFL opening night is the greatest soundbite fest in the league. Uh, someone asked Patrick Mahomes, like, hey, can you do a Kermit the Frog impression? He's like, what do you mean? I'm talking right now. This is the impression. Uh, but speaking of impressions from quarterbacks, you had the other side. Uh, someone, I guess, found out that Brock Purdy does a pretty good SpongeBob. By the way, we had Noah Eagle, who's calling the game on Nickelodeon, uh, earlier in the show today. A great conversation. If you missed it, check it on the podcast. But here's Purdy doing a pretty good SpongeBob.
5: Can you give us your best SpongeBob impression?
6: Yeah.
0: I'll try. Ready?
6: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> okay. That was great.
0: I, I, a for effort. What do you give him for execution,
8: Ann? Ah, I'm giving him uh, a six point
0: three four. Oh, okay. Am I a tough critic? Yeah. I give, give? give him like a seven. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, another uh, or different, different kind of great uh, impromptu moment happened the other night on the Knicks broadcast. Uh, Mike Breen, who obviously everyone knows, is the play-by-play voice of the NBA Finals on ESPN and ABC. Uh, he and Walt Clyde Frazier have been calling. Knicks games on uh, MSG for 25 years locally there in New York City. And so as they took the air the other night, Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson uh, crashed the uh, the open, as they call it, in the business uh, with, with a little message of thanks and, and uh, a note of gratitude.
4: Looking at all those beautiful pictures from back. Sorry to interrupt you. just want to say congratulations for 25 years, guys. Congratulations, congratulations. My gentlemen. And everything y'all do it's a Pleasure,
0: it's a
5: pleasure. I um, it. All right, we'll see y'all later. Great. It's great. Great.
0: It's not bad. Come away with a victory tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Clyde, Clyde. Uh, I think the upset there is there was no rhyme, no uh no no bar drop by uh, Walt Clyde Fraser. There, just a straight. Hey, here's the here's the recipe. And they came through, though, and got that dub over the Grizz. So. They did. They did over the Grizz. It's not that much of an accomplishment this season, but, you know, hey. <laughs> what you, a you know win win, Craig. You can only play the team that, that lines up against you. <laughs> uh, they also presented them with some some jerseys, a uh, really cool thing uh, for Mike Breen uh, and Walt Frazier, two of the best to do it. All right, that is our show for today here from Radio Row in Las Vegas. Back at it again tomorrow. If you missed anything, check the podcast on the Team 980.